And how do you feel, my friend? <laughs> oh, oh, and whatever here, perhaps the pages you work so hard for. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Hello, folks. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Square Waves FM podcast. Square, Square Waves. Square Waves. What are we called? Square Waves FM podcast. Very glad to, to have you all along with us. Uh, I am uh, one of your two co-hosts. Um, I am, and I am only 49% phlegm today. I have made a remarkable recovery from my condition as of last week. And uh, with me That's today great. is uh, my co-host. Your lovely friend, Chris. A.K.A. Thrill Ho. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Ho. And uh, joining us uh, is a, a very special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Bram. I'm a good friend of Brian's from when he was young in high school, playing all the games that we're talking about. <laughs> Talk as if this is a past tense thing. Well, the high school was anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so glad to have you aboard, Bram. Really glad that you're a listener of ours, and uh, it's a long time coming to have you as a, a guest, so thank you very yeah. much for joining us. Awesome. <laughs> Pleasure. Oh, well, I had I had like a, an after-school special moment a little bit before our podcast today. I learned a very, very important life lesson, I guess. Um, I, uh, having recently finished uh, Grand Theft Auto V well, last week, I guess, I've barely touched it since then, I don't really feel like going back Congratulations. for a while. Well, thank you. So, uh, just to give myself a little bit of contrast, and boy, is it a contrast, I've uh, picked up Euro Truck Simulator 2 once again, <laughs> which, let me tell you, yeah. Grand Theft Auto does not exactly prepare you to drive Euro Truck Simulator. <laughs> the, the ramifications are a little bit more permanent in this game, especially when you own your own truck and have to repair it. So, um, wife and I were both playing it at the same time, side by side, on our PCs, and uh, right now... As an aside, we're like uh, trying out various uh, music streaming services. We tried Google Music, and now we're trying Spotify. So today was her day for music, so I told her, go ahead and put on whatever you want. So she picked some station. I think it was like the Indie Rock Station or something. Oh, gosh. So this Indie Rock Station, it was so crappy. It was like... How do I, how do I even put this? You know, okay, you know in Doom, there's like the chain gun? Yep. Like that? Okay, imagine instead of bullets, there were these like turd-curdlingly terrible <laughs> pop-punk, really... Oh, it's like Disney movie trying to be uh, hip and contemporary for, like, 13-year-old viewers kind of music. <laughs> this is basically what I was subjected to for a couple of hours at least or so. So... My I'm God. Keeping my sanity anyway as I'm driving my truck from, like, from like Warsaw to, to Berlin. And... <laughs> Uh, and inexplicably, one really good song comes on. I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, okay, I have to figure out what this song is. But she's driving her truck, and I'm driving my truck. We're not going to pause right. anything. So um, right. I reach for my smartphone, and I pull. I, I uh, want to use one of those music recognition pieces of software. Um, and every time I poke something on my phone, my truck swerves a little bit, of course, because <laughs> you're not supposed to text and drive, you, right? You are not supposed to text and drive. So I hear, and so I'll tell you. <laughs> so I got, I got easy in the end anyway, but I had to, like, finagle my, my way around the Android app market and download uh, Shazam and 
tell it, no, I really, really, really don't want to make an account right now and press the damn button and recognize it. So, like, with the waning, like, four seconds to go in the song, I, I actually uh, well recognized the song, but I swerved around so much, I damaged my highly uh, fragile cargo of, I forget, oh, I was dynamite. I had a, a cargo of dynamite. Oh, yeah. this, like, nine-hour yeah, haul. Usually, usually what they haul around in semi-trucks. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, uh, folks, if that's you're really hauling creepy. dynamite in Europe, don't use your smartphone. <laughs> I, so must have, I must have been, like, like sympathetically feeling your pain because I don't know what time that was at this morning, but around 10 o'clock, my girlfriend and I were driving in the car to go for breakfast, and uh, we, were, we were, like, switching around between, like, ter- like, indie rock to classic rock to, like, old-time rock to everything rock. Like, every fucking radio station here is rock, and it's mm-hmm. bad. And I was switching between them, and we hit Gordon Lightfoot or something. I can't remember what it was. It was it was really bad. And <laughs> and I looked idiot. at Jess. <laughs> it was. I looked at Jess. I'm like, what is this? And she's like, oh, I think this is Gordon Lightfoot. My dad really likes him. I'm like, this is this is terrible. And I swear to God, I had this thought in my head. I'm like, I bet Brian would hate this music more than anything else in the entire world. Oh, sweet. So I must have been getting your. I must have been getting your rock music hatred. Like it was just like this instant thought. I was like, "Wow, if I if I can barely tolerate this, this must be like the worst pain in the imaginable for you." <laughs> your story reminds me of when I visited <laughs> Newfoundland for a, a work trip once. I think they had like seven radio stations that were working from where I was, and five of them had accordion music. <laughs> <laughs> it was so they just settled to be, on listening to the accordion music. It was so charming. <laughs> was That's awesome. Soccer. That's weird. I would have thought it was like Scottish bagpipes on the other fifteen stations. Oh, that's was. bizarre. Yeah. Oh, so, Brian, oh man. Yes. That actually, you know, I'll let, oh yo. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, Bram. So, why do you enjoy Euro Truck Simulator? <laughs> oh, are you not a simulator guy, Bram? <sighs> I, I've played most of the old classic simulators, but. Like, the idea of simulating driving across Europe seems really boring. <laughs> I, I can't remember whether I talked about this already, but, I mean, driving driving meticulously is probably one of the most stressful things that you have to do if you live in an urban environment. And, I mean, living in Toronto, that's, like, the bane of my day, pretty much. But Euro Truck Simulator, you're, like, driving down these beautiful countrysides. It's really beautiful. And although, like, the stakes are high enough, like, you own your own trucking company, you own your own trucks, and every little ding... Uh, whenever you brush up against something, you have to pay for. But I just don't know what it is. There's this like wonderful serenity about this game. It's it's very peaceful and very relaxing. It's a nice way to spend time, and it's like slow, plotting progress towards some greater goal. It's just very. If enjoyable. only you could get paid for driving a truck. If only I know. <laughs> and listening to bad indie rock. I know. Well, one nice was, thing. Was... That, uh, go ahead. Oh, it's just really weird. You guys just reminded me of something. Do you guys remember um, they had two? They, they had these two Apple II games. Uh, one was called Cross Country Canada. The other one was called Cross Country USA. Oh yeah, do you Cross- guys remember this? Yeah, was it an? Oh, it was an Apple game. That's right. We have it in uh, yeah. our DOS box. Uh, educational yeah. game. It's a great game. Exactly. <clears throat> and it was the just progenitor. like it was like yeah, it was like Euro Truck Simulator, but in like 1985, and it's yeah. like you had. You had to, like, make all of your stops. You had to drop off your stuff. Your truck would break down. It was, like, literally the same game. I, uh, 
At I my, don't remember uh, that. Oh, at my college where I work, I gave a presentation to some faculty. Like I did a little tutorial thing for faculty on how they can make their own educational games, and it was like yep. about it was about making educational simulations where you encourage your students to fail and see what the ramifications are without any right. consequence because that's such an important learning tool. That was one of the games that I talk about. You have to obey the speed limit. You have to check your maps and do your orienteering. You have to yeah. rest and feed yourself to keep take good care of yourself. And if you don't do those things, then there's different penalties. Apparently yeah, it was almost like a, like a very Canadian Oregon trail. I see 91 for cross-country Canada here. Uh, oh, it might... It might maybe the USA one came out first, but I do remember there was like an Apple IIe version. This definitely looks like Apple IIe. Yeah! Wow! I can't believe they released an Apple II game in 1991. That's insane. Nah, it must have been a re-release or something. Oh, you know what? I think ah. it's X Country Canada. I'm looking it up on mobile games right now. Let me see. I can't. I can't remember. I just remember there's like one hmm. that, where you're driving around oh, a semi truck, yeah. and there's it's it's the same company. Uh, 1991. U- huh. Yeah, USA was earlier. was 85. Oh, USA was 85. Okay, so yeah. I played I played USA as a kid, and then I must have played Cross Country Canada when I was like an adult. I didn't know it until I was an adult, but my wife recognized Cross Country Canada from when she was in elementary school. She's a little younger. Oh, than me. that's awesome. We we had um, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but um, we had I, I I grew up in a tiny 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 little farm school. It actually had less than a hundred kids. Um, it was basically like the, like the Canadian equivalent or Western Canadian equivalent of like a one room schoolhouse. And, um, we had, um, we had a little apple tree crammed in the corner of the classroom, just like every other classroom in Canada, except we had an, a whole library upstairs and it was like the coolest thing there was, I, I like, it's in my memory. Like, I, okay, so this is really weird. I actually have dreams now, like every few years I'll have a dream that I'm in this library as, as, but as an adult, and I'm taking the whole stack, the whole shelf of Apple II games, and like grabbing them, and I'm like, and I'm like running out of the school with like this armload of Apple II games. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, I hope nobody catches me. This is like the best find ever, and, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> of school. Yeah, exactly. It's like ripping off my school. And and the funny thing is, I remember exactly what they looked like. They had like, they were all these like um, boxed copies of two E games from Mac, like Oregon Trail. They had one called, um, it was a fishing game called like um, Odell Lake. Oh, um, I played that. That was a great know. game. <laughs> Did you play that? Oh, it was oh, so good. Yeah. And wow. um, they had another one called T-Rex, which we never really could figure out. I actually thought it was called Trex because they, they didn't have like very good box art, but it, it was like a dinosaur game, which was really, really hard. Um, and there was like this big, yeah, it was just like one shelf is purely dedicated to Apple IIe games, and I, I cannot shake that dream. Like, I'll, I'll, like, just have a dream, and I'll wake up smiling, and then the worst part is, like, two minutes later, I'll be like, oh, shit, it was just a dream. I don't really <laughs> no. have that whole shelf of 2E games. Damn it. <laughs> oh, wow. Odell Lake. I haven't... Pl- I, it's bringing back memories. <laughs> That's what we do here. Yeah. Yeah, my, so I, I didn't ever own an Apple... Two, but my father is a teacher, so he would bring them home oh. during the summer. Mm. And so nice. my parents would always try to get me to go to camp, but I would rather stay home with the computer he brought home <laughs> and play every single <laughs> game. And he, he brought, of course, since it was a school, he had all the educational games. Mm. And oh. so it was just a trove of them. And then, then I tried to see if I could figure out how they were programmed. 
and write my That's own. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So you were were you doing like basic on the Apple II at that time? Oh yeah. Oh, that was the operating so cool. system, wasn't it? Basic commands? Yeah, it was basic commands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, it had basic and, and ROM, and the best part was um, if the game was coded in basic, and not all of them were, but many of them were, um, you could go cat. I think what the, the command was cat. I can't remember what it was, but you could look at the source code of the game. Um, hmm. And uh, I did that with um, recently, I think a few years ago, <clears throat> I bought a copy of Ultima 1. It's actually just called Ultima. Um, the old California Pacific uh, version of it that Garriott released back in like, oh, I don't know, 1980 or something. Hmm. And um, it, uh, it, the original, original version I got, because I got the original disc, actually has all of Garriott's code in basic. So you can just dump the source code of that game straight to your printer. Wow. Um, that was yeah, written in basic? Yeah, so that was super cool. <laughs> yeah, it's written in basic. The first oh. Ultima... Ult- Ultima and Calabeth, I believe, are written in BASIC, and then after that, I think by Ultima 2 or 3, he had learned a little bit of uh, Assembler. <laughs> That's that just like That's when the quality started cool. to improve. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. you played all of those, too, haven't you, Bram? Oh, yeah, I've, I've played through them all. You're probably uh, the biggest Ultima fan I know. Uh, oh, you're kidding me. No, I, He's I, still I, my heart. I, I really do love the Ultima series, and I did even play in Beat 9. As I remember you've wow. talked about before online, yeah. Um, That's amazing. I, I liked nine for, but you have to treat it as a separate game from the rest of the series. Mm. Oh <laughs> yeah, what, definitely. It's just kind of like like Ultima Eight. You kind of have to treat it like its own separate series of its own. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're both but designed so that you didn't really have to be overly familiar with what happened up until then, right? Because I know That's that eight true. takes place yeah. in a completely different area, so there's no recurring characters. As That's I right. Yeah, but, that's exactly right, and like you, you kind of like see the guardian at the very end, and that's about it. Yeah, but that that's true for nine as well. You've got the guardian taunting you throughout, and then you don't really face the guardian until the end. No, 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 no. You don't have the guardian in Ultima Nine. You have you have Who was it? Um, you have Grover. No, no, it's not Grover. It's <laughs> Elmo. <laughs> it tickled me, Elmo, <laughs> on the throne. <laughs> He's like a little just little fun, like in Ultima Seven and Ultima Eight, they make the Guardian so terrifying. Like he's got this big clawed hand. He looks like he's the size of like, you know, like a, like a, of a planet himself. Mm. And then in Ultima Nine, in the cutscenes, for whatever reason, they decided to make him like El- tickle me Elmo size and put him in this massive throne. <laughs> and he just looks ridiculous. Like he looks like a big fuzzy red animal. Um, <laughs> you just want to hug him to death. And uh, <laughs> at the same time, Ultima 9 has really, really amazing music. And honestly, the, um, the world itself is actually really neat to explore. Yeah, I, I, I was shocked by, like, the, I, I remember the, all the videos they had of it and how it was going to be this amazing open world that no one had done anything close to it before. Yeah. But then the reality of when you actually get it and the draw distance is not what they said it was going to be. And the game yeah. is crazy glitchy. Oh. I was so disappointed. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember there's this point in the game somewhere, I think you talked to somebody at a bar, and uh, due to the, the, the terrible thrust from uh, draw distance, um, you, your whole world is like coated in perpetual fog. And I remember, <laughs> yeah. I, could be, I could be wrong about this, but I remember running into an NPC, and you ask him, why is it so foggy out there? <laughs> And, and the NPC actually attempts to give some sort of like cheesy explanation of why it's so foggy in Britannia 24 hours a day. 
Um, oh, they explained it, was, it away? Yeah, they tried to explain it away, and it was really, really poor. Um, but I, I don't quote me on that because that, that might be just my perverse imagination. Um, <laughs> I, I, thought it was, I thought it was a pretty bad game. Um, that reminds me, Bram, I got something really, really cool to tell you after the podcast because I can't say it on the air. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, a specific, to- specific to Ultima 9, uh, which I think you'll really dig. Um, sorry, folks. I, this is one of those, yeah, this is one of those, yeah, uh, stories I can't, <laughs> can't tell on the air, unfortunately. Nice. Um, yes. So, so, so the tangent here, um, from Ultima to Ultima Online, because the only reason I started right. playing Ultima Online, and like, your stories of how you were actually there when, uh, uh, when Lord Britain was killed was, was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I came in, so Ultima 9 came, and then I got the patch and the apology uh, with free yeah. version of three months of uh, uh, Ultima Online. And it was like, this is, so uh, I was playing with some other friends. Brian, I don't think you were playing with us. No, I didn't. But uh, a few of our other friends were. And so this is right before they, they had, I remember there were two different worlds at the time, and one of them you couldn't buy houses in. And oh, that's they, right. They that's were right. about to open it up. And yes. so we knew, they, they told us the day they were going to open up, the hour, they were like the minute that, that they were planning to open it up to buy houses. And so uh, my friend Ian and I and a few others, we went and we just were mining like crazy for essentially three months while I was, this is, <laughs> while I was in university. And we kept mining. We, we saved up enough gold to buy a decent-sized place, So, and, and we picked a spot that was not right in the middle where everyone's going to put their big castles, but we right, just wanted right. a small shop so that we could have sort of some permanency in this world. And we were ready. We were up in the middle of the night when, when everything was going to come online, and everyone was waiting, and then everything shut down. Everyone got kicked uh, off. The game crashed. You couldn't log in for hours. Oh, and, oh God. And when we finally were able to get back in, uh, it was everything had already been bought. Oh, and oh it, my it, God! It was horrible, and and I had I had a good connection. This was this is at Waterloo where uh, we had decent yeah. internet, and uh, it it should have been no problem. And it was just so frustrating, and that's that when I quit. That, that, that was my oh. my rage quit of, of <laughs> Ultima Online because I paid for oh. like one month, and I was like, I'm going to keep playing. This is great. Oh, uh, no. I, what a my, my, my experience with Ultima Online, I just realized I never mentioned this. And thank God you brought up university, Bram, because <laughs> I forgot that I actually failed my first semester of university due to Ultima Online. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I was, I was hopelessly addicted because it came out in September, and this friend of mine from the States, she sent me a brand-new retail box copy that came with, like, a month or two of free access. And I started playing, and I, I'll specifically remember because I was taking uh, some Greek myth- mythology course at 8 a.m., which was, you know, death. Um, and I was taking uh, uh, the kind of intro computers course, like I think it was Compute 113. Um, and we were just doing some, uh, pro- we were programming um, Pascal at that time. And I remember I was like, oh, this is so easy. You know, Pascal's like just fantastic. It's such an easy language to, to, to work through. And Pascal is, is wonderful. I love Pascal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, it's, it, it's like the perfect little straightforward language. Uh, I remember they were teaching everyone Turing, and it was so painful to learn. And <laughs> I think that was just in Ontario, yeah? Yeah. Well, oh, that's we had, funny. We had, I didn't even... 
we had the Unisys icons, right? So yeah. we were really screwed oh. with all that. Um, and Turing is is a painful language to teach, and it it's designed as a teaching language too. Whereas yeah. Pascal, I wrote so many games in that; it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pascal, you can actually just start building stuff right out of the box. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was taking this Pascal course, which you know had a lab component and a lecture component, and I'd skip all the lectures because I was too busy playing Ultima Online. And then I started skipping the labs, which was just death, um, because I didn't have a Pascal compiler at home, mm. um, or, and I had no ability to, to code from home. So there was a period where, I think it was at the end of September, in beginning of October, oh, and I was also taking uh, a calculus course, too. I had five courses. I can't remember what the other two were. And I started skipping and skipping and skipping. And at some point, I specifically remember, I'd wake up in the morning around 11 a.m., and I would play until 4 a.m. the next day. Mm. And this happened like clockwork for three months. And I remember at some point, I just realized, oh, my God, I haven't been to math or compute in three months. And I would show up to write the exam, and then I would go straight back home and... I remember I was just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm still going to pass. I'm going to do okay. Um, <laughs> oh, this is this is really embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so, so I I actually did pass the compute course because I you know I kind of knew how to program, but I was, you know I I didn't know I didn't know how to program in the style they wanted me to program. Um, so I pa- I passed with like a barely a pass, but then the uh, now that I'm off track, the math course, this is what happened. Uh, for anybody who's never taken uh, a course at a large university, a lot of the time what they do is when they have big, big classes of three or 400 people, instead of having you write your final exam in the class, they will have you write the final exam in a huge gymnasium, mm. uh, like with like a thousand other students or more. And this is so humiliating. I'll never forget this. I had missed like at least a month and a half of math lectures, definitely more than that, I'm sure. And I sat down to this 20-page math final, calculus final, and I was already kind of a crappy calculus. I, I didn't understand math at all at that point. And um, I was writing the exam. I got halfway through. I'm like, hey, I think I'm doing okay. I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm going to pass this. And then I got to this funny symbol. I'll never forget it. It was like an S. It was like this big S. And it had a, a number in the top right corner and a number in the bottom left corner. <laughs> uh. And they were like, you know, solve this or something with respect to, you know, uh, something else. And I'm like, solve it? Like, or, wh- I was like, what the hell is this thing? And, and I started to panic. So I thought, well, you know what? Worst thing, worst thing you know, is uh, I can just ask the prof. And so I put up my hand, and there's like, oh, you know, no. <laughs> 1,500, 2,000 people in this huge gymnasium. Oh. dead silent, like just dead and silent. And I put up my hand, and this prof walks over. I'll never forget him, Dr. <laughs> Ivan Baggs. Thank you, Dr. I Baggs. You, you embarrassed me in front of 2,000 people. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I put up my hand, and I was trying to be really discreet. And he says... He comes up and he goes, yes, yes, is there a problem? And uh, I said, uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, I was just curious. Um, I'm, I'm a little confused with the way you worded the question. Um, it says solve this with respect to that. And I was just wondering what, what's, what's the symbol in the corner here? And, 
and he's like, you don't, and they're like really loud. Like he's like, you don't know what an integral is. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. And he, <laughs> he slapped me on the back, and then he <laughs> walked away. And all I could hear from like, like you know, like fifty feet away from me is like people laughing and snickering. Oh. And I was just like, I like turned beet red. I. At that point, I think I just made up what I thought the numbers were, and I wrote the rest of the exam based on literally, like, just, fa- like, I don't know why grad student marked this, but it was just, like, what crack was this guy on when he said, I'm like, well, I think an <laughs> integral is this, <laughs> and I'm going to solve it in <laughs> with whatever's in my imagination at this moment. Okay. And, uh, How'd that work out I, for you? <laughs> I, I got my mark back, and I remember, oh, man, this is, like, tra- traumatic. I remember looking at my mark on his on his door. He had them posted when in the old days when they had printed off sheets of uh, people's marks, and you had to go and like find your name on the big list. Mm. Um, and I got a two F in on the nine point scale. Um, you get you can get a number from one to nine, and mm. the lowest possible mark you can actually get in a course is a one, but you only get that mark if you don't actually write the final exam. Ah. And I got the next available mark to that. Oh. <laughs> I got I got 15% on that final exam. Uh, it was like, oh, wow. it was worse than, guess, <laughs> worse than guessing on a multiple choice exam. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, I'll never forget uh, oh, that. Yeah, so, was... Ultima, Ultima Online, you owe me, you owe me big. <laughs> oh, gosh. You were paying for the privilege to fail those classes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. With both to Ultima spent... Online and to the university. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, needless to say, I switched majors after that. I had no business being in compute. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well. Wow. Uh, yeah, sorry. I got off track, and we, we, we're only like 20 minutes in. Oh, I know. See, well, since we're already <laughs> off track, you, your story is like the polar opposite of what happened to me while I was in uh, driving school. Oh. Cause, so, uh, in uh, Ontario, anyway. To, to drive Euro trucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I, I have another story about that, even. But uh, So, we have to take this written test. In the, We don't have to, actually, but I took some, like, uh, weekend crash course or something, no pun intended, uh, to help you get your, like, to learn the rules of the road and to right. prepare you before you start taking your in car lessons and I spent the whole weekend like my parents made me go it was like a long weekend or something like that I was super resented having to spend it in the right. classroom with a bunch of jerks so oh I did this driver's ed yeah it's great sure so I spent the whole time with my Walkman on listening to I don't know what I think I might have been listening to uh, the soundtrack for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey <laughs> on repeat that's a great soundtrack weekend by the well way. It's a good soundtrack. It's a good soundtrack. It's got like Primus and Metallica and stuff. So I didn't listen to like a word of any damn thing. And at the very end, they're like, okay, I thought you just had to show up and, you know, we paid. Right. <laughs> now they're going to fail you. So at the end, there's this little written test. And it's like an eight, uh, an eight question, multiple choice written test. And I'm kind of like looking side to side with this piece of paper in front of me. Like, what the hell am I going to do? I've never heard of any of this stuff. What's a, what's a three point turn? <laughs> So I'm kind of like scratching my head a little bit and thinking about how to do it. And then the, uh, and thank goodness for this uh, teacher who says, okay, folks, when you're done with your uh, written exam, just stick it underneath your chair and we'll collect them afterwards. So put it under your chair so no one can copy off of it. So the guy in front of me, this go-getter, puts it under his chair, (laughs) face up, completely visible to me. (laughs) 
It's like, you remember the beginning of um, Space Quest Five, where you're like copying <laughs> test answers off of the big humongous brain alien to the side of you? It was basically that. So I just copied that... every single one of this guy's answers and I aced it. That and is I... amazing. <laughs> and I almost learned by heart the uh, lyrics to Primus's Tommy the Cat. So it was all very well spent time. <laughs> this basically explains every single one of your Euro Truck Simulator stories now. Oh, man, it probably did. Well, that was my real driver's ed. Okay, so literally, this was my real driver's ed in a way. Um, I don't remember whether I told this already. I don't think I did. When my parents were uh, getting rid of their couches and wanting to buy a new one, they offered them to right. us, and so I had to rent a big uh, cube van to move them from oh, north, north of the city to where I am. So I don't think I'd ever done that before. I've rented rental cars, but never a truck. So I went and I drove the truck. It was so super fun. It was we busted our ass just carrying this these huge couches around and stuffing them into the back and all. Um, I did well enough, and that was relatively easy. The real challenge that I have nothing but Euro Truck Simulator to thank for my proficiency was when I returned the truck back to the rental place. There, yep. it was late in the day, and all the trucks had been returned. The only parking space was between two huge, uh, two other huge cube vans. It was this like barely wide enough space, oh, God. and so I pulled in front of them. And because I had gotten so good at parking a humongous trailer using nothing but my rearview mirrors, I nailed it. I got it absolutely perfect the first time and I was like there's no like word for the elation that you feel when a video game has some kind of a (laughs) real world benefit I was so proud of myself that is so crazy because I learned how to drive standard by playing this arcade game called race driving (laughs) or hard driving I I literally and the first time I stepped inside I I did something really dumb I I got a bunch of cash in my pocket one summer and I decided I was going to go buy a car and I wanted I wanted this one particular car. I was just in love with the Isuzu Impulse. And um, I went and, and I just bought this car. I just like went out, walked into the dealership, made a deal, and I'm like, bought it. And he's like, so you're going to drive it out of here? I'm like, yep. And then I sit down in this car. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I never learned how to drive standard. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and I'm, like, I'm like kind of starting to sweat because I'm like, what do, I, what do I do? And then I'm like, Wait a second. I'm like, I played race driving. It couldn't be that difficult. And I swear to God, I put it into gear, and I managed to get it up to third gear down the highway, and I was like, oh, my God. It actually works exactly the same way. It even grinds gears in the same way the game does. <laughs> did that game have a clutch as well as a stick? It did, yeah. Damn, that's cool. Wow. It was fantastic. Yeah. I ruined my first clutch <laughs> when, I, when I got my first standard. And I had tried a lot of the racing games and I always would use the uh, the standard option, but they, they they didn't translate like that for me. That yeah. was safe. Uh, I guess the arcade cabinet actually had the steering wheel and the physical clutch. and, and yeah. yeah, they had the force feedback system and everything. Mm. And you were able to get it into first without a problem. That's, yeah, that's I, um, I I think I told this story before that I that I found out a really cool cheat with um, race driving that if you mm. park and e-brake your car on a on a on an inclined hill, you can actually um, like push start the engine. Um, you can actually put, turn the car off, turn it turn it on to like ignition mode, but not start it. Hold down the clutch, let it roll down the road, and then pop the clutch, and it will actually start the car in race driving. Yeah, that's um, so crazy. That, that, that's just, just like mind blowing. A level of detail that's insane. <laughs> that's exactly. I'm like, I love that some engineer, you know, 30 years ago sat down for probably what it was effectively 10 weeks and said, I'm going to figure this out because <laughs> somebody's <laughs> going to try this someday and I don't want to look like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yes. Wicked. All right. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Well then, um, pressing forward anyway. Um, I oh, I wanted to give a shout out to the No Quarter podcast, um, which is a terrific podcast that I love to listen to about arcade games. Um, Absolutely. So uh, we have to uh, wish a, a tearful farewell to Carrington Vanston, one of the co-hosts of the show who has uh, left but has been replaced Aww. by someone that uh, Chris has mentioned on multiple occasions. That would be Rob Commodork O'Hara is the new co-host. Oh, fantastic. Rob O'Hara with, uh, took over his Mike spot. McGinnis. That's right. So he's great. He's very good as well. I mean, Carrington Vanston, he was he was such such a nice, good-natured, very Canadian uh, fellow that I love to listen to, and I will really miss him a lot. But uh, Rob O'Hara is a really sharp guy, and uh, he's funny Oh, too. absolutely. And Rob, Rob's had his own podcast for years now. And uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I haven't been keeping up with No Quarter recently. I, I'm really sad to hear that Carrington's off. I know, me too. It's lucky, I guess, that I got to hear it, because I kind of cherry-pick episodes in that series just by listening to the games I'm already familiar with. Because I don't right. like broadening my horizons or anything. I like to I like to be told <laughs> that my pre- previous choices are correct. That's me. <laughs> so all the You're best like to the Ned, Ned Flanders of podcasts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I won't try anything I haven't me. tried before. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, something else worth mentioning is that Trolls mentioned to me on Twitter, and then we also had... Oh, I can't, I can't even think about pronouncing this poor guy's name. We got an email from a listener. His first name is Ivan. His last name is X-U-E-R-E-B. So I am not going to insult Whoa, the poor chap. I'm not, not going to try it. Usually I'm pretty ballsy with names, but that's out of my league. <laughs> I know. I, I don't speak Ferengi, so I can't pronounce that one properly. But, uh, he, both of them mentioned to me a patch for Space Quest Four that combines oh. the best elements of the floppy and CD-ROM versions. I believe it just like fixes all the bugs in the CD-ROM oh. version, but it includes Amazing. all the speech and... Uh, it uh, restores a previously uh, removed joke because of a potential copyright infringement. There was a store in the Galaxy Galleria, is that what it's called? Yes. The big mall that you go into? There was a store called Radio Shock that they had to replace right. with another store called Hertz So Good, HZ Hertz. Yes. So they restored back to Radio Shock, which I, as, oh. as Trolls mentioned, it's not as good of a name, but it's a, I like it better anyway. It's oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So I, is this potentially the, the dude, I think his name is New Rising Sun or something, who writes all of these like really, really obscure Sierra patches? I, I don't know, but uh, we can oh. leave that to our listeners to check out because sure. I will include the link to our show notes. So thank you, Trolls Fantastic. and Ivan, very much for bringing this to our attention. Totally the kind of thing that we're into. Great. Um, other than that, we have three voicemails waiting for, oh my God, for really? us oh, wow. <laughs> from our dear listeners. <laughs> Crazy. So why don't we go ahead and get on top of those before we get to our main topic? Definitely. All right. So our first voicemail, uh, our first mo- voicemail is from Trolls. Hello, Trolls. We don't know what happened to his voicemail while we were playing it on the podcast last week. We were so heartbroken when we thought that his Commodore 64 story uh, cut short. But then when I checked it out later in my post-production work, it was working fine. So I included that Bizarre. for our listeners to hear. So um, here's a follow-up anyway on that. So let's uh, check that out. Ooh, seven and a half minutes. Buckle up, guys. Beautiful. (laughs) That sucks. Okay, I don't know what on earth is going on with 
with my laptop today, but it's not it's not playing these voicemails out loud. That is extremely peculiar. Ah, well, what we might have to do then, unfortunately, is to just play these suckers in post-production and not actually get to listen to them ourselves as we record. It's a, oh, that's a shame. That's a terrible shame. So, uh, very sorry. We have voicemails from uh, Trolls about his Commodore 64 story. We have a voicemail from uh, Ryan, Ryan Barnard, who had uh, mailed us a couple oh, of times yes. two weeks ago, and he had a voicemail about QBasic coding and about his oh, games fantastic. collection. And we have another voicemail from uh, our uh, dear Israeli listener, Avi Hayun. So, <laughs> awesome. Shit, I am really, I'm really, uh, maybe we'll, I'm maybe really it'll fix itself over the course of the podcast. We'll figure it out. Okay, I will continue to poke buttons uh, enthusiastically, hoping to make some horrible noises as we see. Speak. This is what happens when you play indie indie rock music before you podcast. You're <laughs> Ugh, I it. know, I know. <laughs> I'm in- incapable of playing digital audio now that I've had to endure that. Digital <laughs> You've audio. ruined your speakers. <laughs> Crud. <laughs> okay, well, sorry guys. We'll we'll be sure to play those anyway, and we'll comment on them next week if we can. Um, sure. Well then, why don't we skip ahead anyway to chatting about briefly what it is that we have played this week or recently, the past couple of weeks, I suppose. Uh, Baram, as our dear guest, uh, why don't you uh, let us know what you've been playing recently? Okay, um, so actually for the last two weeks I've been playing Arx Fatalis. Oh, oh beautiful. that's awesome. Because the former Blue Sky yeah, uh, coders. Yeah. I, I, I love Ultima Underworld 1 and 2. They're mm. amazing games. I've, I've beaten them both more than once. Uh, but I'd ne- I'd never realized there was a third game, and right. yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys talked about it a few times. I'm, oh, I got to find this. So I've installed it. I've been playing it. Um, I've I've got the the open source patch on there. Yeah, it makes it a lot better. Oh, uh, so, oh, so there is a patch for it. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, because they is it a fan patch. I guess it's a fan patch because they released the source. Oh, code. great. And so, oh, I completely forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they, they open sourced it. And but you still need the assets, and so to get the assets, you just have to install the demo right. on uh, oh. on Steam, oh, really? <laughs> and then you can install Arx Liberatus or something like right. that. And, yeah, and, right. And so I've been playing it, and I'm not enjoying it as much as Ultima Underworld One or Two. Oh, neither did I. Why don't you like it as much? It's closed off. Um, the story mm. is interesting, but the dialogue is horrible. Um, ah. your character goes from no motivation to like, like to crazy motivation. It I felt it feels more like an adventure game than yes. uh, an RPG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's not very open world, uh, especially compared to the other Ultima Underworld games. Yeah, because in Ultima Underworld One, you can prob- I, I don't know if you can get right to the the like eighth or ninth level right away. Right, but pretty but you can much at least get down three or four. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, I'm and not, then you can go back up again, I believe. Oh like, yeah, however you, you want. Yeah, you, you need to. You can, essentially with, with all Underworld One, you 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 go through level at a time and solve most things. And every now and then you have to go back up. And right. really, the game is finishable if you don't throw things in the lava and don't forget them. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I remember playing Ultima Underworld One the first time through and accidentally throwing one of the. You have to collect what the full fancy armor by the end. You have to yeah, you get right. you have to get that whole suit right and and also Sir, the sword Sir armor or something yeah yeah and I remember I accidentally left one somewhere or dropped it in some lava somewhere oh, and having to, oh, to start from scratch yeah. um, and number two oh god 
So you, I'm, I'm like having heart palpitations <laughs> thinking about those four save slots, and you can just ruin your life with four save slots. Sure, but yeah. in the end, you do have to throw a bunch of stuff in the lava, right? Oh, just yeah. not the of, wrong things. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's funny, ARCs, Ar- when I played ARCs, I played actually the Xbox version, if you can believe that. Um, they had an Xbox version of it. How do you, how do, you do and, spells with the Xbox? Um, not easily. <laughs> well, it doesn't you, work well with the mouse either. So. Yeah, was it yeah. that kind of gesture glyph thing? Yeah, you did the gesture thing, but you had to, to do it with thumbsticks, and they would almost always fail because you're rushing to kind of paint it onto the screen. Mm. And um, um, what I noticed with ARCs was, the game felt really unfinished, and I'm not quite sure why. It's like they got kind of three-quarters of the way through their concept and just said, you know what, let's wrap this up, let's just ship it. It's only going to be three levels or something. Um, and it never quite felt like the story was all there. Yeah, I, I agree. They, they, they clearly have this big story planned, but yeah. then things just happen, and you're expected to know what to do. I got stuck in the rebel camp for right. like an hour because I didn't know that they had slipped me a key to get out. That's not a key. Uh, it's this uh, fancy dagger. That's the key. And they don't say, here's the key, here's the dagger. You know, this will open the doors to get back in. It's just, right. you're on a mission. And then you talk to people like, you're, go on, do your mission. Don't talk to me. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's just the, the interaction between characters is so poor that oh, I end that up, I, I've had to resort to going to a fact to find out what to do next. And hmm. I shouldn't have to. Not, not like in Ultimate Underworld One. I never needed to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. the the spell system is okay, but the the mouse gestures are really they're really picky. Um, yeah, they are. They are really picky, and I can tell you this much: they're like a thousand times worse on an Xbox controller. Yeah, yeah. and and I I ended up just like in 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 Underworld One and Two. You get in, in Underworld Two. You might know some of the spells already. Right. But in, in Underworld 1, you don't know the spells, you, you collect the ruins, and then once you, you find notes that mention the spells. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then exactly. it's a wonderful way to learn the spells. In this, some spell, you, you collect the runes, and then some spells just appear in your spell book. Right. And so every time right. you get a new right. rune, you have to go back through all like nine levels of spells to find out which ones you now have that are different. And uh, it just inserts geez. them in random places because it doesn't like add them to the end where you'd know. Right. And then you have to then practice them. And it it would be really good if the if the if you could save more than like you can save three spells for quick right. for quick for spells. Quick spells. Oh yeah, yeah, you can cue them. But it's 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 just not an enjoyable experience. So I end up wanting to collect all the ruins, but I'm not really going to be doing much spell casting. Whereas yeah, in that sounds really familiar in the underworlds, you queue up one spell, but then you can just cast it and cast it and cast it over and over. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, that's right. And apparently, in the new one, uh, they're going to have more slots, so you can oh. have multiple multiple places to cast from. They're, they're, they said they they drastically want to improve it, but they want to keep the sort of the idea that there's a system behind the magic. Okay, which right. is great. So, and, and you can tell that in. The same way in, in Arx Fatalis as well, that, you know, this word means fire, this word means cold. Um, right. Oh, and, the, and also there's a ton of hidden spells in Arx Fatalis uh, that I only found out about because one, I, I, I was like, oh, I wonder what this, because I didn't realize at the time that the spells automatically appeared. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was just playing with them thinking I had to discover them. 
And ah. I found like the freeze ball and I'm like, Oh, that's weird. Why is that? And then I, I realized where the spells were showing up and it didn't match. And I was, and then I, I looked online and there was this li- whole list of spells that you won't know about that aren't mentioned that people only know about because they looked at the source code. Holy oh, crap. What a yeah, shame. That's crazy. So it, it, it feels unfinished. I'll finish it eventually, but I hate having to resort to a fact to play a game. It, that's pretty crazy. And I pride mm-hmm. myself on not doing that for most games. And I just, it, I just get frustrated after a while. And I'm not, you know, a 13-year-old anymore where I have unlimited amounts of time. Sure. <laughs> I know what you mean, too. I sort of exploited, even though I played it fairly, I sort of exploited Ultima Underworld 1 in that way. Because, as you mentioned, there's sort of this trickle of new spells like recipes based on the runes that you learn over the course of the game. And because that's the sort of game where you can really break your character or do some kind of irre- irreversible mistake. And, of course, with only your four save states, there's a good chance that you'll kind of paint yourself into a corner you can't escape from. So I would invariably have to make a new character, but then I would already have these other spells written down, and that would kind of improve your quality uh. of life. Haven't already. So you, I had this knowledge that I'm not supposed to have known quite yet. Yeah, but That's with, interesting. With Underworld 2, though, if you've played Underworld 1 and you know all the spells, then when you get the runes, you just try them and see if they still work, and a lot of them do. That's right. And so you sort of bring some of that knowledge with you, which I, I don't think was... I think that was intentional. That's kind of cool. Yeah. What I also liked about Ultima Underworlds um, was, with this runic magic thing, was that each rune was kind of a word. It represented yes. an English word. And so uh, casting a spell was sort of a matter of building a sentence with them. So the ones exactly. that I think I used the most were in lore, which meant create light. Yep. And that would make your you know, that would make you glow and you could see right. farther. And the other one that I thought was really cool was in Mani Yalem, which was create life matter. And that's how you would conjure food. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was, that's right. That was such a nifty way to, to describe the creation of food. Yeah, they, that's they did fantastic. almost the same thing, uh, actually the same thing with, uh, uh, with Arx Fatalis. Mm-hmm, um, that's right. You know, and one, so thing, one thing I really liked about the Ultima universe was really consistent with that, because, for instance, um, you could create poison um, in, I can't remember what the one was for, I remember poison is Nox. Um, right. But... If you if you thought through the logic of the game, um, you could negate poison, basically cure poison by going on Nox. Um, so you could actually think through the ruins, and you you'd know that, for instance, the word on negates something, um, and the word Nox always refers to poison. So right. you could kind of craft your own spells as long as the designer had thought about this ahead of time, um, without actually knowing what the recipes were, which is really really cool. That is cool. And I think there were only like 30 spells, maybe less. So yes. it wasn't like you could really go crazy and make customized spells and stuff, which would have been extremely cool. But it, it kind of suggests that you can do that, but you can't quite do that. Yeah, exactly. The finite cool. Number. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm curious if you finish ARCs to hear about how it finishes, because I, I was never able to finish that game. I got about halfway through, got super, super lost, and I didn't know what to do next. Same here. Okay, well, I'm. how, how far did you guys get? Because I'm... Oh. I finished the rebel camp, but I'm I'm got I've got a few different. I, I think I'm getting. I'm, I need to find the. I'm getting. No, oh, I'm in the um, the the ruin the the not the ruins the the cemetery crypt. I'm in the crypt. Oh, okay. The, the crypt full of zombies, and it's supposed to be really scary, and it just comes off as really cheesy. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't age well visually. That's for sure. Yeah, I, it, it's not that old a game though. 
It's it's, it's no, it looked old. Eleven years out. old. Yeah, yeah. It, like I don't know because Ultima Underworld one still you can tell it's blocky, but it still looks really good considering it came out. Oh, what what year was that? Um, oh, geez. oh yeah, ninety nine, ninety one. Yeah, because it came out or maybe alongside. Yeah. It came out alongside Wolfenstein, right? Right, right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Before Wolfenstein, yeah. or close to anyway. Yeah, and it it had more three D, quote unquote, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, than than Wolfenstein did because it it yes. had bridges and it had swimming and it had height. It had mm-hmm. it had a at least a bit of a Z axis. Exactly. And you oh, needed right. to wait uh, until it had uh, non square walls as well. Yeah, you needed to wait until what Doom two to get that. Uh, Doom one or had uh, Doom one had some Doom height had to that. it. Yeah, it did. Yeah, but did it have bridges? Yes, it did. Okay. Yeah, so you needed to wait until Doom to get the same thing that they had already done, which was yeah. crazy. And Doom 2, Doom 2 had angled surfaces that you could go That's up. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah, that was the big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, wow. I'll, I'll, I'll play through it. I'll, I'll let you guys know uh, when I get to the end. Yeah, it's definitely. probably going to be a while because I don't have that much time. Um, oh, well, please do let us know. <laughs> let's see. Otherwise, I've been playing uh, puzzle games to prepare for today. So, oh, uh, cool. Yeah, uh, mostly uh, Infinifactory, which we can talk about later. And uh, oh. I went back to play uh, uh, Zachtronic's earlier one, uh, which is Space Chem, which is amazing. Um, oh, interesting. I've never played either of those. They're really good and tough and, yeah, just a lot of it, – it's a really interesting way to present novel puzzles. Which I oh, haven't really wow. seen anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but we'll we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, that's about cool. it. And then some Binding of Isaac, because <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. Rebirth. Uh, of course, yeah. Of course, that's good. They actually updated the original Binding of Isaac. They like added a hard mode and a bunch of other stuff. But it's hard for me to want to go back because the sequel has all these refinements that I don't want to let go. And plays so much smoother. Yeah, it does. The original one was built with Flash yeah. the engine, which has serious limitations. Like, the more you plug into it, the choppier it gets. And so the yeah. new one had its own 3D engine, which has performed so much better at 60 frames and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Yeah. So, oh, and thank um, you, Bram, for turning me on to Binding of Isaac, by the way. I love that game so much. It is so good. <laughs> very, very good game. <laughs> the, the, the combination well, what of you, Rogue and What have you been playing, Zelda. Brian? <laughs> yeah, it is a good one. All right, me. I um, there are three games that I'll mention quickly. Um, one is that I played and finished the second part of Broken Age, which is oh. the uh, adventure game by Double Fine, which was Tim Schafer's studio. Um, I love the first half of Broken Age so 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 much. I found it just so funny and charming and relaxing. And very very beautiful, wonderful presentation and everything. I was so looking forward to the much anticipated and much delayed second half. The second half really disappointed me, which is a really oh, big letdown. Such a letdown. Wow! It wow, started I'm off strong enough. I was so surprised, and I mean, in retrospect, a lot of Tim Schafer's games have slow. Uh, second halves, like Grim Fandango, I think is very slow at the end. Um, so uh, it starts off strong enough. It like resolves some story beats uh, in a, a satisfying way, and it answers a few questions which are looming over your head in the first half. Okay. Um, but there are the pace goes completely off the rails. It gets very, very slow. You really just retread the same locations that you know the, your protagonist kind of change places, and that's where the halfway yes. point is. I'm not going to do any spoilers uh, because uh, it's only a month old, or not even a month old. But um, the pace gets very, very slow. There are some really tough 
ridiculous puzzles that either are just needlessly cryptic or involve a lot of walking back and forth to kind of do a fact check about things that it's asking you, like it'll be a three-part uh, quiz or something, and it's based on information that's like nine rooms away, so you have to walk oh, there and back and there that's... and back. But the worst of all Thank is you. the really difficult, really strange final puzzle, which uh, it's like super cryptic. It's not immediately apparent that what you're doing is getting you closer to the end until you kind of figure one out by accident. And then uh, ultimately you solve the puzzle. You, you solve the puzzle by answering questions with information that your protagonist at the time should not have. And that's oh, the most unsatisfying me. thing of all. Yeah, I'm really that, disappointed that is... with that. That is absolutely unforgivable in the adventure game universe. It really is. It doesn't make a lick of sense, which is so disappointing. And then the game ends quite abruptly, and I guess they wrap everything up, but it's not a satisfying ending whatsoever. So I'm really disappointed. It doesn't really take away from how very, very much I enjoyed the first half of the game. I absolutely loved it. But the second half was quite a letdown, and that's a shame. I'm really sorry to hear that because I, I, I had been watching the DFA, the Double Fine Adventure, um, making up documentaries um, with my girlfriend and a friend of ours, and we we haven't watched them recently. But one of the things that they had tried to do in it were they were real dramatic. This was dangerous territory to get into. They were trying to address piecemeal player complaints about the first game, which right. were that this is too short and that this is too easy. Yeah. Um, and I, I both said, both, all of us said that's probably really poor idea because the second you try to please some people, you're going to piss off others. And, um, and mm-hmm. that sounds exactly like that's what happened. They had notched up the difficulty on the puzzles, which actually probably just means making the puzzles more obtuse. Um, that's what happened, and, yeah. I'm actually shocked that they tried to stretch out the gameplay like that. Like putting information nine rooms away is just that's just a waste of time. Yeah, it uh, really is. It's a shame. So I mean, the way that they did it, then the first half pisses off the people who want a hard adventure, and the second half pisses off people that want an easy adventure or at least closure yes. to the story. I really wouldn't have minded if it was all on the easier side because the first half yep. was easy. I don't think I needed to walk through once. I needed mm-hmm. one several times for the second half, and wow. I felt really defeated because of it. Like maybe this is my fault, but then it didn't, I didn't think about that for long. It's just poor design. It oh. felt like they ran out of time, even though they used so much of it. Yeah, they they were <laughs> supposed to have the, the the whole game done way before the first half even came out. That's right. That's right. But <laughs> so obviously the scope got away from them. It was just poor project management in the end, I guess. That's yeah, well, I think it was. Yeah, that's that's really sad because uh, you know I watching the documentaries, people really put their hearts into the project, and I and I could tell, I could tell towards the end, people were getting tired of it. People were getting sick of 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 this game, which is really unfortunate when that happens on a big project. I guess so, because, I mean, in the end, it's extremely beautiful. The art's incredible and, like, very different from any other game that I've ever seen. It's really Mm -hmm. stunningly beautiful. The voices are terrific. The music is terrific. The writing is consistently funny and sharp all the way through. It's just some puzzle design and the pacing that needed a little bit of a tweak, and that kind of really uh, sours the experience. So they were so close, but kind of gave up a little bit too early. It's a real shame. Oh, well, they, they were trying to force it out the door, so... Uh, Obviously. So how, in the end, it was good. How much gameplay was there in total? You, uh, you were saying the other day that I've only... I've got the first half, I just haven't played through it. You said mm. that was four to five hours. How long yeah, is the, the first second half? half? Yeah, first half about was right. about four hours. The second half, I think, was about six or seven. Okay. But okay. It, feels, it feels like you accomplished less in more time. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's geez. not a good feeling. Yeah, that's never a good yeah. feeling. And and to be fair, the first half was you discovering the two protagonists, which is always kind of the fun part of a game anyway, right? You're just getting to know them. Yeah. Um, I, I can kind of see, this kind of reminds me of, you know, the I always think the second Lord of the Rings book is the weakest one, um, just because, you know, you've already gotten to know Frodo, you've already gotten to know the main characters, you've already started the adventure, now here's the middle part where there's a whole lot of walking. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, songs, no, you can't forget the songs. So many songs, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, well, can I capitalize on the segue then? Because the second yes. game I've been playing for my massively online uh, course is uh, Lord of the Rings Online. Oh, cool. Which is cool, because I'm playing it as homework as I read The Fellowship of the Ring and uh, just watch the movie oh, with my that's, wife that's last night, too. So, oh, what a cool... It's a cool course. Um, the course is... Oh, I had to write this down, because it makes me sound smart. It's about <laughs> multimodal remediation of a single source of a story. So that basically means that they have the same story that's told in using different media. And right. kind of look at the contrast between those things. It's sort of like a Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message sort of a right. theme Very to cool. it. So it's really fun to talk about. There are There's a terrific cross-section of participants in this course. Some of them are gamers and some of them are not. Some okay. of them are, are non-gamers that are just discovering massively multiplayer games for the first time and are enjoying it. And others are giving up because it's so incredibly complex. And MMOs are very, very complex games. They're sure. not the best for a, an English course, I might argue, except for the fact that it's free and it's about the source material. Yeah. So... Uh, the game is good, and it's better. I've played it since beta, like, not very much at all. I probably put, like, ten hours into it over the past, I don't know. It's been out for, like, nine years or eight years or something now. Oh, my God. I can't believe so that I, already. Oh, I've just, yeah, I've just dabbled with it. It looks a little old, too, although they put out a nice six-gigabyte texture patch, which makes it look a little sharper, but with low uh, polygon models. Right. But it's, right. it's still attractive enough, and they've really streamlined the complexity of the combat mechanics. It used to be that you had way more skills, and you would have to go talk to your trainer every time you level up to learn new skills and to get mm-hmm. uh, improved levels of your existing skills and your bar got really unwieldy and humongous so they've dialed back the number of skills they made it much more accessible in the early game where I am which makes it a lot more fun so I can mm-hmm. concentrate more on reading all of the quest texts and even with participating with the uh, community a little bit um, there are people as you kind of mentioned Bram there are people in the uh, like the world public chat that will just speak they'll just start singing where they'll like start talking in rhymes and stuff and other people will chime in and either say something smart snarky that rhymes or they'll take on the next verse or something it's hilarious and it's very good natured and nice it's a great community wow. there. that's oh, in the that's right spirit good. that's good it is in the right spirit a lot of people role play and the nice thing about lord of the rings like reading the book as well is that they don't go too crazy with the old english fancy talk okay. or anything they speak plainly enough um and like Plainly, as in like the gra- like like grammatical phrases that they use, but also in that they're all just very honest. They speak from the heart. They don't really conceal very much, which is a wow. really charming, nice thing. So that's um, great. That's how people play their characters too. So I'm having a really good time with that, and I'm sure loving Fellowship of the Ring. It's a great book, a really really peaceful, enjoyable book to oh, get through. Oh yeah, it's my. It, I used to read the whole Lord of the Rings series once once a year for for like fifteen twenty years straight. Oh, wow. And I'd always look forward to reading Fellowship of the Ring because it's just there's something really wonderful and, and warm about the world before things can get dark and dirty when you get into Mordor. 
Well, that's such a good way to put it, too, because my wife, I'm not really interested. My wife is starting to read and watch um, Game of Thrones now, and ah. there are a lot of similarities. It's the same kind of a universe and a lot of the same sorts of uh, just tropes and stuff that they address. But that's sure. a very dark and gritty story, whereas oh, yeah. using uh, the Hobbits as like the, the focal point of the narrative just makes everything so like good-natured and good-hearted and positive. At least Absolutely. in this first book, anyway. So it that kind of uh, colors the way that you read it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I um, always thought the first movie did such a great job picking a color palette for the first scene in Hobbiton because I was like, that's exactly how I imagined it when I was a kid. That's very true. The settings of the movie, having just watched it yesterday, I totally love the settings of the movie, but they really abbreviate the story and they get rid of oh, Tom Bombadil, God, which yeah. is such a shame. I love Tom Bombadil. Me too. He's like he's like the character type that I've loved in a lot of stories. Like oh. I read a series of books by Carlos Castaneda, which were about, like, uh, it was like being a spiritual healer or something and, like, Wizards okay. of the Modern Day and stuff. That was a cool series of books. Huh. Um, and so he had a character called Don Gennaro, who was this very boisterous, joyous kind of a character who happened to be one of the most powerful wizards in the modern right. world. But he had the, exactly the same sort of a, a demeanor as Tom Bombadil. Oh, really. so wow. I, I love that character type of someone who he, seems totally carefree, but is actually yeah, he's like unbelievably sanguine. powerful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Terrific. So loving right. that. So uh, one other cool thing I'll mention just about Lord of the Rings Online or this course anyway, is that I've been, I did my first homework assignment and I've been chatting with people in the forums and I met this one lady from Toronto who just through discussing stuff about uh, multimedia and online stuff, she has an experience that's very similar to mine that I talked about when we were talking about MMOs, which is that mm -hmm. she participates in Second Life and facilitates classical music concerts, like a series of classical music concerts, and like a, a concert pianist or a violinist or something will be represented by some cheesy-looking avatar in-game, but they're playing their instrument in the real world, and then we'll have like a little lecture about classical music and stuff like that. So I'm going to attend one of wow. those online tomorrow, which I can't wait, because the... Very cool. The animations of the uh, avatars for these musicians are really cheesy and inaccurate and look horrible. But uh, in contrast, I've seen some of her YouTube videos now. In contrast, they play the most beautiful, wonderful music. So that's the kind of a dichotomy that I just love, the coldness of computers versus the warmth of humanity. So that'll be a fun one to check out. That's awesome. All right, so the last game I'll mention, which is hardly a game at all, this is something that I played a little bit on my smartphone. My wife is hooked on it, and now it's available for free on Steam. It's called Adventure Capitalist. This oh. is a game This is a game where you encourage progress bars to scroll faster, and that's the game. Oh, <laughs> you, um, right. It's kind of a tycoon sort of a game where you, the object is just to make as much money as you can in as little time as you can. It's like a time management sort of a game. And so you just get to certain breakpoints where you can buy a new multiplier for one of your progress bars and your progress bars go up and up and up and you make like billions and trillions and quadrillions and quintillions so and it's, like it's an idle game it's it's like mostly an idle game similar but to you, cookie clicker or it's like cookie clicker with like one millionth less clicking okay <laughs> that's a good way to put it uh, yeah. there was also one that was for the large hedron collider as well what? Yeah, there was one written by the interns. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, weird. oh it was it was so much fun. It was so silly. <laughs> oh, I got to see that. You like accelerate particles or something? Uh, <laughs> let me find it. Uh, Archie Trunk Collider game. That sounds great. So Adventure Capitalist is totally stupid. It's hardly a game, but it's okay. just intoxicating watching numbers get bigger. That's all it is. <laughs> 
Oh, well, Bram, let me know if you find that one. Anyway. Yeah, I'll stick it in the show I'll, notes. I'll try to find it. it. I'll find it later. It was crazy, though. It was uh, it was essentially the interns there. They they built this game for fun, and it was similar to, to Cookie Clicker or any of these other idle games in which it was, you know, you buy an intern and it accelerates you a little bit. And you need <laughs> and the, the two <laughs> forms of currency, one was research and one was money. Or sorry, but the money came from investments from from countries and stuff. So it was how do you get more research? And the research would allow you to unlock more things, and then you you would buy more PhDs and then more physicists. And was, <laughs> I, I, they should just cool. call it like uni- University Simulator 2015. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I like I appreciate the self promotion of uh, interns being like the backbone of that whole economy. <laughs> backbone slash slaves, yes. Right. Yeah, it was, oh, it, was cool. it was a great game, and I played it for like a whole day idly while I was doing work. But mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I saw All you right. were playing Adventure Capitalist, so it's I'll give it a try if it's free. It is yeah. free. Well, in fact, I played it. You know, I played it for a few weeks or something, barely poking at it on my phone, and then uh, some more on my on my computer. I threw them two bucks just to give them the appreciation for it. It's it's stupid fun. The graphics look great. That's great. The art is terrific. Yeah, they, it it looks like like almost Hanna Barbera ish. It very much does. Yeah. Oh, and they they have um, just some of the upgrades are uh, associated with like these little caricatures and jokes and stuff. Like um, they do. Um, th- there's a hockey arena is one of the things you can make profit from, and so they have like a character named Dwayne Gretzky, and it's this like Wayne Gretzky looking guy with this really sleazy mustache. Oh, and they had. <laughs> A gender swapped Don Cherry, D A W N. Oh my god! Wearing this like that is really, so disturbing. Uh, oh, it's wearing this like really intricate pattern like rose dress that looks like one of his stupid jackets. <laughs> it's so funny. So there's for, a lot for, of great humor. For our non Canadian listeners, yeah, John Don Cherry is like an extremely <laughs> uh, conservative uh, hockey hockey host uh, for our hockey Rob, in Canada. He's the Rob Ford of hockey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Basically. With flashier dressing and I don't yes, think as with, much with, drug use. Right. <laughs> we assume. Right. I mean, he's, the guy the guy's had about what 15 facelifts so far. <laughs> Has he? <laughs> he he looks like he's still like 50 years old and the guy's like 170. He's like Mr. That's Burns true. or something. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so so I found the game. It it was it wasn't from LHC, it was from CERN. I apologize. Uh, ah. it's, it's called Particle Clicker. That's great. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I will stick that in the show notes for sure. That's great. It, it, Thanks it's, for that. Brad. It's silly, and you won't play it more than like an hour or two. But it's a decent idle game, just to just to watch. <laughs> That's excellent. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, Chris, what have you been playing this week? Ah, uh, I kind of turned my sights on cinematic platformers, and ah. I started with two classics, and then I played one not-so-classic. So, um, if any, I'm sure any of you, as soon as you hear Cinematic Platformer, you have to be thinking about Another World slash Out of This World. Of course. Um, so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like, I come back to it every year, and every year I sit down and just say, my God, is this ever great. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up finishing it three times in a period of two or three days. Um, just over and over and over, played through. I didn't get bored of it. I didn't think the puzzles were boring. It was just like a visual masterpiece. Um, and there's so much to like about... Uh, there's just so much happening. Um, and I, this time I really wanted to pay attention to 
the artistic detail in it, because usually I just play it for the fun, but this time I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to pay attention to how this guy builds color palettes, how this guy... Um, uh, how this guy animates um, because it was all drawn with 2D polys, so it's kind yeah, it's of a really reduced. It's a reduced color palette, like it is stylistically reduced. Very, very fancy. reduced. Yeah, and he picks a lot. He he works in the blues range for a lot of scenes, and then mm -hmm. blues and blacks, and then you know, of course, you have Lester Chickens, bright red hair, um, and blue eyes. Um, but then sometimes he just opens things right up. There's this great scene where Lester ejects from his little tank and flies into like these naked mermaids having like uh, a bat in a bath and there's mm. this like incredible stained glass background oh yeah and oh it's so incredibly well done and i just think like the guy like saves up his colors for these great moments um and they're just incredible i i'm so blown away by it and then this is really interesting i because i was playing the sega cd version of it i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this Mm -hmm. um, there was a Sega CD port with an amazing soundtrack by uh, the composer's name is slipping my mind right now. Uh, Freit, his name, last name is Freitas, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to pronounce that in French, actually. Uh, he or Belgian, I'm not sure. Um, he um, has this incredibly good wavetable soundtrack on the Sega CD version. But the weird thing is. Um, Sega published a sequel to it. I'm not sure if all of our listeners are familiar with that. Um, it was called right. Heart of the Alien. And yeah, and it was like a... Was it a non-canonical sequel? Was um, Eric Chahi involved in it? Eric Chahi was not involved in it, except to... I, I believe it would be somewhat canonical, because I did think... I do think he kind of gave the go-ahead to it. Um, okay. he, he gave them... He gave them basically the, uh, a hint at how to do the story, where he said, you know, it would be really cool if we did a parallel story to Out of This World where you play as the alien, uh, play as um, uh, right. Matsuba. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so they ran with that, and I finally got to play this, and it's actually kind of cool. As soon as you finish Out of This World, because both of them are on the same disc, um, mm. yeah, you have to fly off into the sunset ending, it actually mm. seamlessly goes straight into the second game, which I've never seen a game do that ever. Um, mm. It's very neat. You can either play both games separately, or if you finish the first one, it seamlessly starts into the cinematic intro cinematic of the second game, which is very, very cool, um, mm. where Matsuba rescues you. And I, I, I really want someone to play this. I think this is one of those tarnished gems. It is not a great game by any means. Uh, gameplay is very weak. Um, but uh, the animation... They tried really, really hard, and they pulled off some really complex animation tricks that Eric Shahi does not have in his game. Um, in the end, I want to say that Shahi's animation is way better because he went for the simpler is better approach with poly uh, with, with um, rotoscope polys. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's just like a, a, a visual feast. Like watching the intro to Heart of the Alien, it's really impressive. Like. I realized they probably had a team of animators working on this. It's it's about as complex as any um, any 2D poly animation I've ever seen in my life was. Um, it's very cool. So I I got about maybe an hour into it, and the, the gameplay unfortunately is quite weak. There's a lot of repetitive puzzles, but the only thing fun is um, you are kind of getting to see flashbacks that the uh, Matsuba is having of his adventure with Lester. Um, so these little black 
cute black and white flashbacks that are actually really well animated. And you can kind of see all those moments where you see Matsuba in the background, you know, trying to help you out. You actually see what happened in the interim. Um, and it's, it just adds a little bit of depth to the story. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, you get to see what happened, what, why the alien planet kind of, you know, fell to these terrible evil guards taking over everything. So, yeah, I, you know, it's hard to say. I'm sure some people say that this, you know, this ruined my my love for Out of This World because it's such a shoddy um, sequel. But for me, I think it's just its own separate thing, and it stands on its own fairly well. Okay, so, that's good. It was yeah, only released was, for Sega CD? Yeah, I think it was only Sega CD. Um, mm. I, I can't remember who coded it. Um, I think it might have been internally at Sega, but I could be wrong about that. It says Interplay um, Entertainment. Oh, Interplay. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. there we go. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I would love to hear somebody else who's played it. Um, the music in both of them are, is, is just excellent. I think they might even have the same composer for the second game. Um, and it's very, very good music. And it has one of those funny things where, because I played the PC speaker and the ad-lib version all of my life, now that I finally heard what it sounds like on a proper wavetable synth, I'm actually like, I don't know, kind of, not disappointed, but I'm kind of, I feel uneasy about it because I'm like, oh, you know, in my memory, I know that exact sound that 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 laser gun should make. Or in my memory, I should know that exact sound that the um, that the intro music should sound like. And it just doesn't sound quite correct to me. Um, yeah, sure. It's when I play my favorite games with MP32 <laughs> when I never had one as a kid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sounds wrong, it's better like, but wrong. I, I know this is the right way um, so um, I played Out of This World and Heart of the Alien, which is great. And the third one I got to go hardcore on was Flashback, uh, the quest for identity. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I finished that. I love that game. I like that game. I don't love it. Oh, I, I enjoyed <laughs> it. And, and, then, I, um, and then Fade to Black afterwards? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm going to go for Fade to Black. I, <laughs> I, bought, I bought that in a, like a... Uh, like a, a a compilation pack once, and I frustrated myself for hours to figure out the goddamn camera controls and the keyboard controls. It was so frustrating to play. Yeah, early 3D game. It was kind of mm-hmm. clunky like that. Yeah, I, 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 I knew there must have been a good game underneath it, but I just couldn't quite find it. Yeah, I think I only played it at your house, Brad. Yeah, I, 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 I did it. finish it. I, I remember. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a long You're time ago. You're the first ago. person I know that's actually finished that game. Then, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I loved Flashback so much, and then I went and played Fade to Black because it was the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so funny, Flashback, like, I like the presentation of it. I like the action of it, but I had to cheat. I used a trainer. I cheated my whole way through just to see the end of it because I really couldn't be bothered to to. Yeah, the, the, the save points are pretty far apart, and I've been yeah. cheating my way through by using save states, which is you know just fine for me. Hmm. I don't have gorgeous animation, for... gorgeous art, and I like those uh, cutscenes a lot. They're very striking. The, the opening is so unforgettable in that game. Absolutely, uh, I love that opening. And you know what I find really neat? They, they went for a really bright, expressive kind of um, color palette. Like there's no, there's lots of tons of greens. Everything's lush. Um, even when you go into the the um, New Washington, the big city, um, they still kind of use lots of spray paint and stuff to keep everything looking very bright and alive for a post-apocalyptic mm. kind of thing. Um, mm. It feels like an 80s post-apocalyptic, po- post-apocalyptic thing as compared to 
out of this world, which uses such, such, such a monochromatic um, um, style color palette. And I just, I don't know, I just think that Flashback's got so much going for it. And, and the story is actually pretty interesting. You know, it's kind of evil aliens have, I think it's basically like a retelling of, um, oh shit, there's an 80s animated series, or 80s, sorry, TV series about um, these aliens that come to Earth, but you can't tell that they're aliens. I think it might have been called Alien Nation. There was um, a, well, Alien Nation. You could tell they were aliens. You're thinking maybe. Oh, v? you could. Oh, Z. Yes, sorry, yeah. Z. That was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. kind of like retelling the story of Z almost. So um, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's fun. Yeah, it, Alien Nation was the one where they, could, they were like there was like the saltwater thing would kill them. I I don't remember. Right. It was a long That's time right. Ago. And I was trying to like find a way to coexist or something. I can't remember how it worked. <laughs> really weird. Yeah. yeah, so um, uh, Flashback is really good. Um, the only difference has been, this is for our kind of more artsy uh, game developers listening, um, one thing that I noticed, the biggest difference between Flashback and Out of This World is Out of This World, because it's hand-animated in almost every single scene, you get this feeling that Lester walks differently or runs or jumps differently depending on what part of the game he's in. There's always a little bit of oh. handicraft to his animation, and it's no, it's not. That's not true. Like, I mean, obviously he reused animations for parts of the game, but the game relies on custom animations for so much of it um, that you never quite feel that you're just rewatching the same uh, uh, walk cycles over and over. Whereas in mm-hmm. Flashback, it's the rotoscoping is actually technically better. I think in Flashback, it's much more crisp. Um, but it's so smooth. So many frames of animation exactly. per, it's, it's, per action. It's amazing. Exactly. Then I think maybe that's it. It's just a much higher frame rate for the um, actions. And but the same, but differently, you repeat all of the same behaviors over and over and over. So um, you know, just for art nerds, um, here's a little tip: um, if you want to make something fun for your players to 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 give them a feeling like this is make it feel really real. Um, Add a little bit of custom animation to the walk cycle that only happens in certain parts of the game and not others. Um, mm. Little custom animations that might take you an extra second to say make make the foot walk differently in this one spot as opposed to where it walks in the other spot. Just you know bugger up the animation a little bit, and it's surprising. It's so subtle, but it actually gives the player this really solid feeling like this is a real person as opposed to Conrad. I feel like I'm driving a little robot around or something because his. Mm-hmm. You know, the way he jogs and runs is exactly the same thing no matter where he is. Um, so, anyway, that was just something That's that an came to mind. Tip. Did you yeah, know they made us? There's a remake of Flashback. Yeah, I, oh, heard it's nothing to, I heard it's nothing to pay it's attention to. It's not good? To. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah, I if, you, if you want to hear the best rant on that, I highly recommend Francisco Gonzalez on Blue Cup Tools podcast has an episode where he tears apart uh, Flashback iOS or the new remade version um it's yeah. hilarious yeah, it's for pc <laughs> playstation 3 and xbox 360 yeah well, okay. n- nice that they uh, wanted to to redo it it's a shame it didn't keep the same sort of i don't know yeah i'll, I'll, think, I'll give it I a listen worst, yeah hmm. yeah it's the, the biggest complaint i heard was and this sounds very believable is um they gave conrad a voice and oh, conrad goes he didn't need one yeah he didn't need one and conrad goes like when he gets an upgrade, he's like, yeah, let's kick some ass, kind of stuff. And 
so they basically like gave him a Nathan Drake kind of like fake Nathan Drake voice, and it's just mm-hmm. really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing I want to ask you, Chris, about uh, whatever version you're playing the DOS version, I guess. Of which one? Of uh, Flashback. I'm playing. Uh, actually, this is actually this is really interesting. I'm playing a custom coded PSP version that somebody ported. Oh wow! Yeah, and this is okay. <laughs> this is really cool. The person who did this apparently. They, it was for a coding competition. I think it was called Summer Camp Something Something. Um, I wish I, I'll, I'll get you the, uh, the name for the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. It was some sort of coding competition, and the person, I thought it was brilliant. They coded their little um, flashback re- rebuild of the engine to take advantage of the best parts of every port of the game. So it ah. uses the Amiga Mod Tracker music. Nice. It, uses the voices from, I believe, the Sega CD version. Um, so there are actually, like, voiceover dialogue. If you want to see the worst voiceover dialogue you've ever seen in your life, it's in the Sega CD version of Flashback or whatever <laughs> Whatever this came off of. It, they're so bad. It's literally the same, like, Scottish guy trying to pretend to be different people. Um, uh. and doing a really bad job of it. <laughs> and he's like, Hello there, Conrad! Hello there, Conrad! Hello there, Conrad. It's just really, oh, it's really like cringingly bad. Um, but um, they and they included the, I believe, the ad lib uh, version of all of the digital sound effects. So it's kind of a really cool mishmash. Uh, and on the PSP, it just plays flawlessly. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, the reason I asked was um, the I played a version for DOS. Yep. Uh, when I was a kid, and I don't know if it's because I played some shoddy pirated version or something, but every now and then, one of the inventory objects would not be translated from the original French, and so <laughs> sometimes sometimes with hilarious results, because, You're uh, you know, early in the game, you have the opportunity to pick up a rock. I think right. you use it to, um, to distract guards to look the other way, um, and uh, rock in French is Pierre. Right. So I'm like, oh, look, this rock's name is Pierre. Hello, Mr. Pierre. Come on down there, That's awesome. That sounds like a really bad cracked version. It really I, I could very well have been. It might have been. And there was, uh, you also, early in the game, you pick up a battery. And in French, battery is pile, P-I-L-E. Right. So it's always like a pile of batteries. It's just one battery. <laughs> Why is it a pile? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's I love fantastic. that. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds great. So I, every rock, I, now in my own internal dialogue, whenever I see a rock, I have to name him Pierre. <laughs> Very charming. <laughs> all right. So, well, uh, is that all you played here? this week? Oh. Yeah, that's that's all I finished. Oh, and I started to play. Um, I started to play um, um, Ultima Seven Part Two Serpentile. Um, ah, very nice. And I quit. <laughs> Oh man, it's like such a big game, and I I got a little, I got maybe five minutes in and realized I didn't have the copy protection information with me. So um, when you fail, when you fail the copy protection check in that game, it does the funniest thing ever. Um, all the characters start speaking in a random word generator. Whoa! Um, and but they're they're actually quoting lines from Shakespeare, but using random like Mad Libs version of Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> it's really good. That's cool. So I only got a couple of minutes in, and I said, okay, I'll save this for later. Well, if you check out the the GOG.com version of that game, I think it's six bucks or something like that. Yep. It comes with 
either a PDF or a text file with the answers to all the copy protection, just for ah. reference. It also comes with the source material if you want to fish it out yourself from the maps and stuff like that. But uh, that's a, kind of a handy way to get through. I I always I always preferred the uh, reading the original manuals for it because the manuals for those uh, Ultima games are just always spectacularly well written. They're like fun. Oh yeah little history of Britannia kind of thing. They're like a, an artifact that belongs inside of the game, which is so impressive. Exactly. So inviting. Yeah, really, really well done. They don't make them like that anymore. Well, and, and the yeah, maps. So. Yeah, the maps are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. and I think, was it coordinate lookups or something for Ultimate Yes, that's sevens? right. Latitude, yeah. longitude lookups, yeah. So it's nice to kind of look carefully at the details of the map. Like, that's a reward in addition to uh, an obligation. Oh, Definitely. And uh, mm. yeah, so that's yeah, that's my that's my list for the week. I, I ne next week I'm looking forward to playing a couple more info context adventures. That's my my next goal. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yes. So. Oh. All right. Well, why don't we move along then to our uh, main topic? Um, we have it. decided to invite uh, Bram to our podcast this week to speak uh, about uh, a topic that he is uh, uh, that he is authoritative on, which would be puzzle games. Yeah. Um, so I've got a big list here. I don't know how we want to go through this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> However, well, do you have a favorite puzzle game, Bram? A favorite puzzle game? Oh no, that that's too tough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Way too tough. You probably made a list of them. Yeah, they're mostly in my list here. Uh, well, I just finished uh, A Fool and His Money, finally, and that took a oh, long that a time. Oh, uh, is that related to A Fool's Yeah, Errand? it's a sequel that came out about two years ago. It was ten years in the making. Okay. Oh, my wow. God, two years ago. The first one's like 30 years old or something, isn't it? 20 years yeah, old? Yeah, Fool's Errand is... Oh, wow. I don't remember what year that came out. And so, essentially, uh, Cliff Johnson created a Kickstarter campaign before Kickstarter existed. Uh, because you could go wow. to his website for Crazy. the longest time and pre-purchase this game. Um, That's yeah. insane. And I'd done so nine or ten years ago. And <laughs> every every few months I'd go back and check on his website or he'd send a, a, a newsletter out saying, it's been delayed again, here are the reasons why. And it was always, oh, well, he moved to Vancouver. Oh, he split up with his wife and he's moving back to the U.S. And it just, That's just, amazing. And he, he built it in Flash, which at the time when he was starting to build it was a great idea. By the end, he was really frustrated with the limitations of it, and he wouldn't do it again. And it was it, – I'm just happy that the game itself is really polished. Um, wow. For someone who, who essentially built it on his own with a little bit of help, the art is beautiful. It is a tough, tough game, though. Is it a, a one-man project? Did he do the art and the design? Uh, no, he had someone else do the art, someone else do some of the music. But it hmm. it really feels great. Um, but it is significantly harder than Fool's Errand. Now, wow. these games were just basically like a collection of puzzles, and that was about it. No, right? no, there's a story behind them. Mm. Uh, but it's it's not like Myst, where the, you solve a puzzle and it drives a story. Right, uh, right, right. In this, it's, you, you unlock more puzzles. And as you, the puzzles themselves are somehow related to the story, but it, it it's it's all about collecting words, and uh, you collect words by solving the word from the puzzle. Uh, my biggest complaint about a fool and his money is that it's just way too many anagrams, and I'm not very uh, good at anagrams. But my wife mm. is great at them, so mm. uh, <laughs> she helped me out with a lot of them, most of them. Uh, but the game itself is it's beautiful. It's um, I don't know. It's it. 
well, Fool's Errand itself. We should talk about that. Uh, because I don't know if... Have you guys both played Fool's Errand? No, I've never played it. Oh. Very little. I find that kind of a game really infuriating. I did I did get probably an hour or so into it, though. I didn't give up on it as quickly as I have other ones. Oh, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's a more than, like, a 12, 13-hour game, at least, if not longer. Oh, it, man. It is huge, and it is wonderful. It was released for, uh, for Mac and for DOS as well. It was ported. Um, and you can get it for free on his website. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, that. yeah, you can get you can get Fool's Errand at the Carnival and at the Carnival and three and three for free, which are all made in wow. quick succession. Quick succession. Um, at the Carnival is, I think, the worst game that he's made uh, in terms of of, of that set. Uh, he apparently worked at a carnival and just hated being there. So it's this really kind of mean spirited <laughs> game where every puzzle oh, is awesome. about how horribly wrong carnivals are. Uh, oh, cool. The art is. Uh, I love it already. Yeah, it's 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 very dark, and the salu- it, It's a lot of really tough word problems, and so I'm I'm a, more of a fan of logic puzzles. But um, it's still a, it, it's a decent game compared to anything else that was coming out at the time. But uh, three and three is just uh, adorable. It's this. It's a story done through puzzles about a three that gets lost from a okay. spreadsheet. And messes up, <laughs> and it's the adventures of this three as it's going through uh, the world of letters and numbers inside the computer. That is cool. And you decode emails or some of the puzzles. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. You can, the only way to play it though is with a Mac emulator. Um, oh, I like see. It, so like, like, an, like an original sixty-eight K Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wow. uh, but he includes a free emulator on the site. Wow! Yeah, cool. so they're, they're, what a guy. and it's it's just wonderfully fun to play. It's really cute, Brian. You might like that one a bit more than Fool's Errand. Sounds kind of like Tron. Uh, yeah, but it's just puzzles, right? <laughs> and it's it's a lot of and, and he all, his games are full of puns, and so the three and three is full of these silly puns about computer, the insides of a computer, and numbers asking about letters and letters asking about numbers and it's. It's it's just really cute. It's the exact. I'm such a sucker for that. I love. Yeah, that. it's the opposite of at the carnival, which is just this angry game. <laughs> and but Fool's Errand itself is wonderful. It's a combination of so many different types of puzzles, uh, word puzzles, lots of crosswords and stuff like that. But a lot of other strange puzzles. Some of them are like, don't like follow your mouse along the along this path, um, and as you go through both Fool's Errand and A Fool and His Money. Every time you beat a puzzle, it opens up more puzzles, but it also gives you a piece of a map. And okay. so you unlock this map, but the map itself is a puzzle, almost a classic puzzle. Um, and the whole thing is written in a scroll. And so each puzzle, you get to this part of this scroll, and you can just flip to the next part of the scroll. And the scroll has the story relating to the puzzle. And then when you look back at the map, once you unlock all the pieces to put the map together and follow the path that the fool takes on his journey, it, right. one, of the, one of the tricks is to read the scroll and actually read through the story because he passes by the pyramids and then you place the pyramids on the map. And so it's this ah. combination of solving the puzzles and then getting the stuff that you've solved the puzzles to create the map. And then once you have the map, it unlocks more puzzles, of course, in the map. <laughs> And so within the map, you then have to go back to the solutions to the puzzles and put them into the map, 
which then you have to solve these you know meta puzzles to create the final meta meta puzzle right right, uh, right. Wow. where you collect all the different uh treasures of the land so that you can win your wisdom or whatever it is that you win at the end of it. Um, and then Fool and His Money takes place right after, but 20 years later, I guess. Uh, and it's very similar in style. Um, you, you again have this sort of scroll and you create this and you get the first game. So Fool's Errand was you collect the sun map and Fool and His Money, you collect the moon map. And gotcha. so you have all these treasures at the end of, of Fool's Errand. Well, the Fool has all these treasures. And, of course, you play the Fool, more or less. Uh, and then you get accosted and all the treasures are stolen and you're left with nothing. And you have to hear the land at the same time as find out what happened to the treasures and save the people. Again, with crazy amounts of puzzles within puzzles within puzzles. And mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. But if you don't enjoy... Fool's errand, you would not like a fool in his money. It is really tough. Well, can you give an example of some of the sorts of puzzles they have? Oh, yeah, there's a whole list of them. Um, let me see if I can... Ah. It was a real variety, as I recall. Like, Oh, yeah. Uh, there's something for everyone, but you have to solve them all. Uh, and that's, that's the problem. Oh, I see. That was the hard part, because often in games like that, you'll get like a... You'll earn hint coins or something that let you bypass a puzzle that you don't like, or... Or you only have to solve like eighty percent of the puzzles, and you can skip some of them. But as I recall, this one, I think I, there were like matchstick puzzles, I think, and like tangram puzzles and shape puzzles. It was like doing an IQ test in many ways. Um, <laughs> not really tangram that I remember. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. It's been yeah been years since I played. A, a, a lot of them are, are word puzzles where it's uh, or or anagram puzzles and stuff like that. But there's, hmm. um, so oh, there's um, tarot games where. Because it, it's all based on tarot cards, uh, and especially right. and, and both games are, but the the second one even more. And so we've got uh, these games where you're playing some game, but you don't know the rules, and you just keep playing and you lose. You play and you lose, and you just figure out little bits as you go, and you determine the rules of the game, and then it, quickly you start winning. And the original oh, game had, I think, so Fool's Errand, I think, had one one or two of those but then and the new one has like i think five different tarot games um what else is there there's um oh there's so many types of puzzles um a lot of them are uh yeah there's of course the like a classic puzzle where you just have to move the pieces in place um there's um uh ones where uh, you have to follow a path, so there's uh, stained glass that pops up, and uh, one piece will highlight, and then the next piece, and then another piece next to it, and another one next to it, and you have to follow the path that it makes through this mm. giant stained glass. It it's fun for when you first look at it, and beautiful looking, but then you just end up with a uh, dry erase marker on your screen, and it solves it very quickly because uh. <laughs> um, there's no point in memorizing it. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, there, there's not many number puzzles, um, but there's um, oh, what else? Um, it, it's just a large variety, which is what's really oh, a lot of decoding puzzles. Those are really cool, uh, where it's just like a, a basic uh, uh, substitution uh, crypto- cryptography puzzle, right? Right. Where, mm-hmm. but it's nice because as you type, it swaps the the letters for you. Um, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's oh, a lot there. 
I like those. Yeah. Oh, and a lot of them that are um, where a bunch of – you'll select a bunch of characters or letters or animals or something like that, and it will add some characters to some sentence in an order. And so your job is to figure out the order to make the sentence work. And so you just – there's typically two or three letters at a time that will pop up, and they'll either pop up at the start or the end of the sentence. So hmm. you have to figure out the order, but also figure out which which character adds what to it. And then you have to try to sort that out, and that's kind of fun. Um, those are pretty easy because you, you just have to see, okay, what which groupings of letters make words? And, oh, that makes sense. Okay, now – how does it work with the rest of the story? How does it work with the one that came right before it? Because they, they typically have conversations between them. Yeah. Um, let's see what other ones. Uh, ones where you have to... Uh, uh, movement puzzles, uh, where if you move one piece and then other pieces will move out or in. And so you have to sort right. of move all, like a, all the like cards. Like a sliding tile once. puzzle? Yeah, but where, where the sliding tile... Where you move one, but other ones, it will trigger other ones to move. Oh, I oh okay. See, I, see. I find those infuriating usually. I know. Yeah. It, yeah, it always, I it, out. Sorry, go ahead. No, was I was just Chris? saying, I, uh, yeah, I totally find them infuriating too. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I end up, if they're tough, I end up mapping them and to try to solve it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you do it on paper. Yeah. That's invariably what you have to do. Yeah. Um, I got my fair share of those in mist. Oh yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to mist. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, it's just it. What's beautiful about it is it's a beautifully like the the newer one is it's this, it's thing works with it. It's it's great as you go. You unlock more every time you think you're done. There's more puzzles to solve, um, and the art is just beautiful. Um, yeah, um, but if you don't like that type of game. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the art being pretty beautiful, actually, in the old 1980s version as well, yeah. like with the limited palette and the limited resolution, but just like kind of unique and charming art, kind of of a style that I haven't really seen anywhere else. Yeah, and he, he updated it uh, in a similar style. The original one was black and white, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then there was like crazy puzzles where you're, you end up fighting the, uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, it's not the Empress. But it's one of the cards it is one of the evil cards, and, and you fight against her later on. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's 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 really great um, if you like puzzle games, <laughs> and especially really really tough ones. Because sure, that's like an inescapable puzzle kind of a puzzle game. You you if you don't like puzzles, then it's not the game. Yeah. Uh, whereas um, yeah, three and three you might like Brian. I think uh, it's got a I'll cute a story. And it's weird to play it on a like original Mac emulator, which works great. Um, it's just strange because you end up it. It's kind of reminiscent of playing on an old Mac. <laughs> that is super cool. Yeah. Well, that, the premise of that one in particular sounded kind of intriguing. So I would love to try the three and three. Ones. Yeah, I remember it wasn't as it wasn't as tough and weren't as many straight word puzzles. There were a few more logic puzzles, but uh, yeah, none of them. Well. With all of these, I've, I've never had to go and look up an answer. But uh, there have been times I've been so tempted. So, so tempted. <laughs> and that's you. You're good at these yeah. things. Yeah. I would definitely have to look something yeah. up. Um, but uh, I, I found afterwards there are some hints that you can get for puzzles. Mm-hmm. So you, they, they, 
they'll give sort of like a, you can look up the first hint, how do I solve this? Or, you know, what are the clues to how to solve it? Because a lot of these puzzles are, what am I supposed to do right now? Exactly. Um, which I really enjoy those where you, you figure it out and then you, you make progress as long as it does give you the feedback. And, and these, for the most part, do. Well, like in, in Fool and His Money, there's actually a help, which normally tells you a lot, um, at least early on, tells you how to solve it or gives you clues on, on what's happening, which, which is really good. But then if you're really stuck, there are these hint books that will, will clue you one bit at a time so you, it doesn't spoil it, which is really All nice. Right. Yeah. What was the name of the guy who designed these? Again? Uh, Cliff, Johnson. Um, Cliff Johnson. He's done a lot of other weird stuff. Um, he uh, he did the uh, who's that uh, magician, the street magician, uh, David Blaine. Uh, he mm. David Blaine had a book with a puzzle at the end, like this puzzle hunt type thing at the end, uh, where you could win money for solving it. And Cliff Johnson designed that, mm. and he's done oh. he he does a lot of these like real world puzzle things as well. He's made somewhat of a career out of it, which is kind of cool. Oh, and speaking of which, by the way, you spoke personally to Cliff Johnson in relation to uh, beating Fool's Errand, didn't you? Um, or by email or something? Oh, yeah, well, I've talked to him by email a few times. But he, he used to run these uh, uh, April Fool's Day puzzle hunts. And uh, my team won one of those. We had a, it was great. We, we printed out the puzzle. Like he did, I think, three in a row three years in a row where he had it and mm-hmm. they were just these great games where you, you, and they were physical puzzles and you would have to you know, print out the pages. And then as you would solve, you'd get these chunks of a map and then you put the map wow. together and then you had to fill the map in it. And it took hours and it was so much fun. Uh, but I, I, I've done the puzzle hunts at Microsoft as well. So that's, that, that's really sort of my world. I love doing that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he's really friendly. He would email right back, and yeah, really that's good. Amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, that's like hardcore puzzles. Uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, why don't we go on to something that you guys probably have played? Do you want to talk? Uh, what, what would you guys rather talk first, uh, Seventh Guest or Mist? <laughs> I'm all, oh, man. I'm, I'm all about Mist. I never to this day have I played the Seventh Guest. I think I mentioned this on a previous not, episode. Huh? I missed out. I really missed out. Oh, uh-huh. missed okay. out. Okay, well, let's talk let's about Miss Miss first. Um, sure. I, I will. I will state outright that Riven is the best game of the series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our friend Ben Chandler, I think, is said yes. the same thing as well. Yeah, yes, that's Mist, right. So Mist, I just remember playing at, at your house, Brian, all the time. It took me years <laughs> to actually own my own copy, and so being a ravenous puzzle player, every time you oh, didn't have the same patience I had for the game. <laughs> No, I didn't. You were basically my, my hint book for that game, yeah. weren't you? Um, I remember we, there was one puzzle I, it, where we, we ended up mapping it out on paper. and Oh, that's right. I think it was the, the, where you're up in the trees or something. Yeah. That was confusing. It was so, and so we're, I'm like, let's map it. You're like, really? I'm like, yeah. And we, we, we had this beautiful map we made from it. And we, I remember solving all the wow. ages. And I, even though we knew how to beat the game already, because we knew that you just go and you, you only have to do a few things and you can just win the game immediately. That right. That's not the fun in the game. The fun in the game is going through and figuring out the puzzles and what you're supposed to do with each of them. Uh, and Mist is just beautiful. But I, 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 when I came to Mist, I had actually already played Manhole before. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. yeah. So would I briefly. It, it was like I love that game. It's just it. I, is it a game or just a? <laughs> Not really. It's like a storybook. Yeah. It's like a, story a, it's like a digital pop-up book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And I had played. Um, did didn't they also make another one? I could be wrong about the another game. It was a black and white Macintosh game, Mac sixty-eight K, called Cosmic Osmo. Do you guys remember right. that? Any chance? Yeah, wasn't wasn't that Cyan's first game? Oh, I yeah, that's what I think. That one. It was it was like a, it was their first CD-ROM game, I believe, and um, and was it? I think yeah, it was before, I, I think it before it pre- CD-ROM. I don't remember. I never played it. I, I think I it's pre. It. I think it's pre-missed, and I unless maybe what it was. You know what? I think maybe what it was is they released a collector's edition on CD-ROM, um, hmm. but I do remember playing Cosmic Osbo and. Yeah, it was weird. It was like this middle step in between Mist and um, and uh, the Manhole, where there actually were puzzles in it, but it was actually a little bit more story oriented, storybook oriented. Nineteen eighty nine. Definitely not as puzzly as Mist. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was Cyan's very first game, and I know that uh, Manhole came out on floppy first, so I don't oh, think it was okay. a CD-ROM game. Okay, yeah, that makes sense then. Yeah, I just remember it was in black and white, and uh, I remember being quite actually impressed by it. I've never tried that one. It looks crazy. Cosmic Osmo, yeah, the world's a... beyond the mackerel. That's exactly the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently 1989 was when they released it. And wow. it, was a, it was a Macintosh CD-ROM. It's crazy. It was a CD-ROM. Wow. Yeah, it's really they've, old. They've re-released it in 2010 for Steam. You're kidding. Uh, oh, my God. That's bizarre. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, i got to pick that up. <laughs> Neat. They also re-released the Manhole. They made uh, what they called Manhole Masterpiece oh. Edition. Yeah. Which, it's, it, they, they like update the graphics and the sound and stuff like that, and it's more CD-ROM-y, and it's, it sucks a lot of the yeah. charm out of it. I mean, it was whole, just such a sparsely voiced game. Yeah, the whole reason the Manhole was so cool and Cosmic Cosmo was so cool back in those days was because they used, you know, like Mac Paint to do all of the textures and stuff on all the characters, and it had like this goofy, I don't know what you call it, dithered, stippled kind of um, colors for all of the characters, and everything was just really goofy looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really charming one. <laughs> yeah, so Mist was a big step up uh, from from those days. I've heard that infamously they designed Mist initially without even using any computers. They did it on right. uh, index cards and uh, laid them out in order. And they would give them to to uh, people like as early playtesters. They would give them the index cards and just saying, "What would you do here? What do you observe about this?" That's oh, a, I a love that idea! Way great, great way to playtest something. Yeah, there's a really, really good postmortem about the design of Mist by uh, Robin Miller. Oh, you're the kidding! GDC Vault. It's oh, so, I didn't know so that. good to listen to, and he's a he's a really good presenter, and he has he uses really good slides. He's a, a fun guy to watch. I highly recommend. I'll stick that in the show notes for sure. He's such a nice guy. I emailed him once just to ask him a quick technical question about the soundtrack for Mist, and he I was like, oh, there's no way he's going to reply. And within like two hours, he had like this long half-page explanation of how he, what synths he was using to, to do the soundtrack. I'm like, that's incredible. Oh, that's great. That, that remains one of my very favorite soundtracks of all time. Oh, too. It's incredible. a beautiful soundtrack. I love it. So, so what uh, do you Brian... guys think of the puzzles in this? I mean, that, that, that's actually a pretty big piece of contention. I think a lot of people actually just hate the puzzles in this. I really like them. A lot of people hate just 
as you were saying about Fool's Errand, Bram, just not necessarily knowing when you're looking at a puzzle and then when you finally do, right. what are the rules of the puzzle? Mm-hmm. A lot of people found that infuriating, and like I'm sure that describes me to it. Well, Mist was very much like that. It was, oh, here's a control thing. What what does it do? Why does it have no power? And you have to go and solve right. it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Fool, Fool's Errand is typically like, oh, here's a crossword. Or, or here's a bunch, you know, fill in, put these letters in some other order. That, that's how that tends to be. So it's very different because uh, Mist is more of this adventure that you're on uh, as you play. Um, but I, I really like the puzzles, but I, I'm a fan of having to, like having, having everything laid out for you is just, it's just boring sometimes. It's too easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really made the world feel alive. Um, if you... Were, if you went up to like the control panel for the rocket ship and it right. said, here are the instructions on how to, how to solve this, that kind of takes away from the exploration. Definitely. Right. And in retrospect, they almost do that, like with the hints that you get in the tower, but not necessarily knowing what it applies to. And then it becomes obvious in retrospect once you get to the controls exactly what it was telling mm-hmm. you. I do, I do appreciate that. I don't know if I appreciate it when it's brand new and I'm seeing it for the first time. <laughs> but when I think about it, it's a, it's a, a clever way of doing it. I, um, what, I, what I liked about Mist was, and I think I might have mentioned this, Brian, on like a very early episode, maybe with actually Anatoly or somebody. I can't remember who we were talking about. Missed with, but I really, really appreciated that they put a lot of work into making the puzzles. Um, uh, what, what, what's the right word for this? Um, very tactile. Um, every everything you touch makes a sound. Everything you 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 know kind of mess around with is very mechanical. And mm. I always really like the mechanical um, you know parts of the puzzles because they just they're different to me than like let's say a standard sliding tile puzzle in a game where um, you know, the goal is, I already know what the, I already know how to do the, or sorry, I already know what the goal of the puzzle is, but I don't know what the process is. Whereas in Mist, I was always just like, oh, I just kind of want to play with stuff. I want to flick the, toggle the switch up and down or toggle 20 of the up and down and see, I don't even know what my goal is. I just want to kind of figure out what they do. Um, and I really always appreciated that they put so much work into the kind of audio visual part of puzzles, which for me as a non- I'm not too much into logic puzzles, so um, as a non-logic puzzle player, it kind of allowed me to use my intuition a bit more. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the, the puzzles really do in Mist feel like they're a part of a world and something that was kind of set in advance by some like advanced, uh, advanced uh, intelligence or by some <laughs> designer, which of course is the story of right. Mist mm-hmm. in the end. So it, it's a good job of reinforcing its own, uh, its own um, lore. Sure. Yeah, and the, the mixture. Think, of, yeah, the, I I really like the the feel of it. It's so published, uh, so not published, so um, polished. Uh, and yeah. like I first played it on a Mac um, years oh, ago. Wow. Yeah, it was it was just so beautiful, and I didn't realize the yeah. difference between the Mac version and like the early PC versions, and how how the PC ones were not as. Oh. The sound was not as nice, and, and I'm like so that. glad you mentioned that. I um, I yeah, spent... you meant you mentioned that, didn't you, Chris? Earlier did. about the colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the the color the color palette was slightly um, the, the the dithering method I think they used for the graphics was slightly different on the PC Windows version. Yeah, and the sounds were not quite right. And you know, it's funny. This is such a little thing. This is like a little thing. Um, the Windows version used a little black and white uh, Windows 3.1 icon for the hand. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the cursor. The cursor. But the Mac version has a little yellowy colored hand that the finger clicks up and down when you click on stuff. And That's right. I was jealous of that. Yeah, I remember that from uh, screenshots in magazines. It's such a minor detail, but it was all of the world to me when I was like, you know, um, 15, 16 years old. I was really impressed by that. That was a big downfall of Windows 3.1 games, especially if you were to play um, Sierra games, Sierra Adventures, because oh, yeah. in DOS they would have these beautiful uh, 256 right. color uh, icons, but in Windows they were just um, monochrome bitmaps. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I loved Myst, though, uh, overall. Uh, and I would argue that, I know, Brian, you really like the 3D versions of it when they brought them out. And Yeah, real Myst. I, no, yes. I, I don't like them. Uh, the game, as you said, the game was designed on, on, on cards. And so the puzzles are centered and designed to draw your attention to them. The moment you get oh. to walk around, it breaks mm. that. That's interesting. That's true. It, it really frames things. That is true. Well, have you tried, Bram, the latest version called Real Mist Masterpiece? How many versions are they going to make of the same game? <laughs> I know. There's four, this is the fourth or fifth one or something. It's the Real Mist thing where it's like the 3D, freely navigable Real Mist world. Mas- it came out last year? It did. It's so, so beautiful. It's like the crisis of Mist. You know? It's so, so, so beautiful. And crisis it, edition. It is. Well, just in terms of its, if its visual fidelity and the, how wow. nice the world looks. But um, it has this great compromise between the original uh, screen-by-screen clicking is what, like, versus like the Quake-style WASD movie right. you want thing. Um, you could still navigate via hotspots, but instead of like jarringly uh, skipping from one uh, framed scene to the next, it would walk you smoothly, and then ah. uh, so that you're facing precisely the angle that you would have been ah. in the original version. And then you can do what they do in so many remaster games now: you can hold down a button, and it will superimpose the old 640 by 480 256 color screen from the original oh, on top of what you're seeing, so that you can kind of compare them one to one. Which I'll is have great. to try that. That that sounds it that is, sounds like it, it oh. solves the issue of the framing perfectly. Very much so. And that's optional, which is a really nice yeah. way to have done it. You can still walk around freely or you can click screen by screen. That's but actually, it is just so, so beautiful. That brings up actually a funny um, little tidbit I noticed between the Mac and Winchester. And it's really, really beautiful transitions between each um, each screen as you click your way along uh, as you move. And the Windows version has this really awful, juddery kind of... Um, it's, a, it's some kind of a fade or transition fade. And the yeah. Mac version's much more varied, much more interesting. Just I don't know. It just has this really, really polished um, polished feel to it that you just don't get. So I'd love to... I'm going to um, see if I can find... Uh, I'll see if I can find on YouTube uh, Mac versus Windows 3.1 uh, yeah. comparison. Yeah. I, 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 I want to see this for myself. I'm, I'm really curious. It's, it's so subtle, but it adds up to a lot in the end. And I would love to see the, the real mis- masterpiece edition because I'm curious about little things. Like, for instance... Um, what did they do about models? Are all of the models the same amount of polys, or have they upgraded the textures? Oh, they've no. It's completely redesigned, new engine, new models, new everything. Wow. But everything that was like everything, all the new items are like in the same place and like in the same configuration and position right. as the old ones. It just looks like a brand new, absolutely modern game. That's really interesting. So it, it's not just a retexture; they just rebuilt it the same way. Wow. 
Yeah, puzzles all work the same. Everything is pretty much identical, but just much oh. more be- beautiful and convincing. And it's especially nice, I find, when you're looking around like Cirrus and Akinar's various uh, bedrooms yep. in the different ages. Mm-hmm. It's extra nice to be able to kind of poke around and look around to see through uh, like around corners and stuff uh, by moving around freely. Oh, I see, I see. Cool. So, yeah, because the investigation in that game was really rewarding too. Finding out who are the characters, what have they been up to, what's their past—that's that, a great part of well, it. Well, yeah, it was one of the very few games where I actually wanted to read the books in the game. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the books are good mm-hmm. too, right. and then the the actual physical, real books as well. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. the books in the game are, are the books in the game are excellent. So excellent. And then, then Brian, the novels are yeah, good too. Yeah, I remember though. you let me There's one of them or two of them at some point. Uh, I did read through the whole set. They're wonderful. Oh, I surprisingly good. That is funny, Brian. You brought this up like a few months ago, and I and I completely mm-hmm. forgot to start reading the book. So I'm gonna this weekend. I think tomorrow I've got a long weekend here. So I think tomorrow I'm gonna go to the used bookstore and see if I can find a copy of the first or the second uh, missed books because I've always wanted to read those novels. Oh, if you like the idea just of writing an age in a book and then watching it unfold the way that you wrote it, then it's so rewarding. Yeah. And I still think that it's kind of uh, metaphorical, allegorical for game design, the way that yeah. you write something down and then you like compile it and see mm-hmm. what happens. That's right. It, That's it right. also it yeah. informs, uh, if you do play, uh, it, it helps explain Riven a bit. It, it definitely explains uh, uh, 3 and 4 as well. Um, <laughs> Which Miss Three and Four were not that great, but they were still beautiful. It just they weren't designed by uh, uh, right. by Cyan anymore. Yeah, I, I, oh, I didn't realize. I, I hate to admit this on the air, but I've actually never played Riven, and I've always wanted to. Oh, I, I've, oh. I've got this. I played it, but not very far. I got stuck pretty early and figured it wasn't worth proceeding. Oh, with. It, I keep hearing otherwise. It, it is a beautiful. It, it it it's missed, but. Taken to that next level. It was one of the first multi CD-ROM games that I had. Right. Um, oh yeah, five or it six was five CDs because there were five islands. And yeah, every that's time right. I... you went from island to island, you had to eject the disc and put the new one in. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was it's fine except there's like one island that's tiny, and you go there for a minute, and if you're trying to get from one island to another one, you have to pass through an island, having to. Oh, oh no! That was that was <laughs> really frustrating. <laughs> I was like under a killing moon made you do that yeah. a lot. But I have a I have a actually a book recommendation that maybe you guys don't know about that or our listeners might not know about. Um what's that? It is a uh, a book called oh shoot. What is the name of the book? I think it's called The Book of Mist, but I could be wrong. It's a very huge coffee table book that is full of like um eight or eleven by fourteen sized images rendered straight out of the engine to the book. Um, in-game photos, and <laughs> it's the making of Mist and the making of Riven in one book. Um, oh, sweet. I think it's called The Book of Mist. I could be completely wrong, but I have it at home. I just can't remember I can't remember the title on it. It is absolutely gorgeous. If if you're a fan of the, you know, the visuals or you want to know a bit about the backstory of how they were working with Stratavision 3D and HyperCard, it's this it's this book, it's like shaped to be like an oversized diary, um, and it's full of page after page after page of full-sized images that are rendered straight out of the engine uh, onto paper. And, mm. yeah, there, and as far as I know, there, other than the ex- insanely expensive posters you can buy on eBay every five or ten years, it's the only source for actually like high-res renderings uh, from in-game in Riven. Mm-hmm. Ah, 
Oh, why are they? Oh, but you said it's it's um, rendered from the in-game engine. So is it not in the, in the uh, original limited resolution screen resolution? No, it's it, no. They rendered it at like probably like four or four thousand by five thousand. Like it's, it's oh, wow. re- rendered in insane, insane color depth and uh, DPI. Because so, I remember reading that about the way that Mist was built, that they designed everything in super high res, and then they just took right. kind of screenshots of the three D, uh, exactly. of the three D rendered area. Exactly. Oh, that's incredible. That's a real rare artifact. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. I, I absolutely recommend it. You can only buy it used from like ABE Books or a Libris, um, but it's, if you can get it for like ten, twenty bucks, oh, it's like totally blows on the shelf. It's like such a conversation piece when people flip through and say like, oh my god, I had no idea Mist and Riven were so beautiful. I'm like. Yeah, they're beautiful because, or it's unfortunate that they were rendered in like you know 640 by 400 on the computer, whereas they were the engine was capable of well, not the engine, I should say, Stratavision 3D was capable of you know pumping this out at any res you wanted, um, which was super super cool. Beautiful. So, Bram, did the the subsequent games? Uh, you said that they're not they're not as good and they don't hold up they, as well. They, did they don't hold up as well? Um, well, Riven itself is just... Uh, we didn't really get into some of the puzzles and stuff in there. It missed... It, it, it was kind of clear when you got to a puzzle, for the most part, uh, with yeah. Riven. Uh, but, but it was to get the, you know, the island to work or to... to and things were, were... It was almost surreal the way things were in the place. Uh, whereas Riven, everything felt organic. And the puzzles uh. that are there are part of the world. And... Uh, when you go through and you try to figure out how the numbering system works and you go to a classroom and you play with it, I think that was two. I think that was Riven. Hopefully it wasn't, uh, uh, what was the third one? Exile, I think. Yes. Yeah, Miss 3 Exile. Right. And then after that was Revenge? I oh. Think. Yeah. Wow, I didn't really play remember. that one. Let me see if I can. I own them all and I've put like five minutes into the ones that are not the first Yeah, one. so I, I finished three. Uh, well, well. So let's finish Riven first. Um, but the the puzzle, like the, there's only two really incredibly tough puzzles, and one of them was because you had to listen to the sounds of the island as you're walking around, right. and that that was that was really tough to to listen to the sound and to match that to the animals. And it's a wonderful puzzle, but I think it needed to be a little bit easier in terms of identifying an animal mm. to a glyph of the animal. Was, yeah, was kind oh, no of kidding. That's crazy. It, it's a That's really crazy. tough puzzle, and and if you get stuck there, just look up a hint for that um, when you're when you're playing through it. Because if you haven't played it, you should play it. Um, and then the final puzzle, which should be a tough puzzle, is uh, is by putting marbles uh, in the right place to to power everything, and that. That's a little bit of a tough puzzle, but it, but there are plenty of places to go to, to clue it in. But you have to, of course, at the time, you had to travel through three different islands or something to get to the right one, and that meant swapping discs again and again and again. And so course, that, yeah. that was more frustrating than, than tough to, to solve because you, you get to one island that has a map of all the different islands on it. Uh, and then you have to figure out where the power sources are on each of them. And that, that's a lot of fun, but it's a great story. It's, it just feels so alive, the world, because instead of just being a flat picture, you've got animals moving around and there are motions and things that are happening as you get there. And it's really oh, nice. Oh, that sounds incredible. I love, I love that you describe um, Riven as being this kind of uh, organic world, because I, I swear it was like listening to Ben Chandler talk about Riven. Um, everything visually and the sound and the puzzle, everything 
that I've seen, like just 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 seeing other people playing it. I was so taken aback by it. it felt like a real world. Mm-hmm. I love uh, that. Okay, so Miss mm-hmm. Three, I, I I remember I got it when it came out, obviously, and played through it. Uh, the puzzles felt it, it it wasn't developed by the same group. It wasn't developed by the brothers, uh, what, uh, Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I know they helped with it, but they really didn't want to. Oh, it, it's by the same guys that made the Journeyman Project. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, I didn't know that. yeah, it, different. And, and it's also not Robin Miller doing the music, but it is trying to right. be the same style. It's a good game. Uh, the puzzles are more obvious that they're puzzles. It's, it's nice. It's visually beautiful. Um, but it's still a good game. It's just not, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not as, uh, uh, well, after Riven, Riven's such a masterpiece. That's the problem. And anything compared well, to that. Mystery became a little bit more um, cinematic, didn't it? It had more like visual storytelling with live actors. Yeah. Am I remembering well, right? No, Riven as well. Right at the start, you had some live actors and, and at the end. Oh, that's right. Uh, whereas in, in Mist, it was just within the books. Uh, yeah. But I oh, think okay, that, okay. That was more limitation of the, uh, of, of the system uh, at the time. Uh, because I'm sure they would have loved to have had something a bit more alive. I'm sure in the original, yeah, they just had to find some justification for only being able to render like a 100 by 100 resolution video or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they found creative ways to present yeah, and that, they, they, but they didn't have to do they that They did later. a great job. Um, Mist mm. 4, I got it, I played it, I, I haven't touched it again in a while. Um, I don't know if I'd go back. I don't even remember if I finished it. Um, Is that the one where you had a camera and you could take a picture of the scene? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that I was... No, I didn't play that at all, yeah. I'm not even familiar with it at all. Wow. Well, it's it's a nice idea so that you don't have to write things down. To t- uh, nice. okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But I I don't remember being overly impressed compared to the to the previous entries. And I'll be honest, I, I have not played um, Myst 5. I bought it, and I was saving it, and I, I think I've only... I installed it once or twice and never never played... End of Ages. I really should get back to that. I got stuck in the very first room <laughs> in that one. However, I I did play a lot of Uru. Oh, oh yeah, you did. Wow. That's right. I was a beta tester on Uru. Oh, oh really? very the, cool. The online one as well as offline, or just the, online? the online one. But it mm. really oh, was sort great. of a. It was an online game, but it wasn't. It was a. It was an offline game where they had little bits where you could go online and do stuff. And yeah. I mm. really didn't like it. <laughs> oh, I, what didn't you it, like about it? I'm I'm not the biggest fan of of multiplayer games, but it, there in no way really. How does Miss lend itself in any way to a multiplayer experience? Well, that's I know. I mean, I guess it's, yeah, exactly. I guess it's just if um, the solution to a puzzle is obvious, but you need to do two things on opposite side of the room at the same time. Oh, well, well, really? That, that, no, Maybe. no, no. That that's like Portal Two. Yeah, that was like Portal uh, Two. Yeah, but, but that doesn't. No, not not with this. It was you would go in and I, I was there as they were releasing age after age uh, for right. it. I, I would go back in, I'd play it again, and I'd beat it. And the puzzles themselves were uh, pretty typical. But you had a you had a little avatar you were moving around. You had a character. Uh, sure. It wasn't a, like a first person view. And then there were areas between the puzzle areas, and you would go there. You could talk okay. to people, and you mm-hmm. could. 
I remember you could collect things, but none of it really lent itself to being a good puzzle game. It was, yeah. it looked beautiful, um, like everything they did, uh, mm-hmm. but really it was just a way for them to release sort of smaller mist packs, I guess. Oh, okay. This makes a lot of sense oh. because when I played, I played it like when it got re-released as Uru Free or Remastered or whatever it was, the free mm-hmm. version that they put out. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't figure out what to do. Like, I was just wandering around in a big, dead, empty world, and I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's, you have to go to a specific place, and then you, you would go and do the, the ages from that place. Typically, you've got uh, a book, and then you go in. You'd finish that little mini-age, and then you'd come back out, and then you would hang out right. with people. And I was okay. on the beta, and it was already packed. Uh, oh, wow. So it didn't make any sense. And the last thing you want to do when you're playing a puzzle game is talk to people because the first yeah, right. thing they can do is spoil it for you. Uh, and right. <laughs> this, was the, this was the beta where people were being careful not to do of that. Course. And it was, you could go and ask for help and they could tell you what to do or if you miss something. But it wasn't, right. the character movement wasn't great. Um, okay. And the puzzles required getting to places to be able to do the next bit of the puzzle. It was, yeah. it just, no, no, it, it it didn't really it didn't do anything that was great in a puzzle type game, and it didn't do anything great in a multiplayer, a massively multiplayer online game. Like so, on both fronts, it was just not really going to do very well. But they released so many different versions of it. They did. Uh, they had a lot of expansions yeah, for it, like six or seven. Um, I see. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, a bunch listed here. And then there was Uru Live as well. Like, there's so many versions That's of it. That was, that was the that live was, one, Uru Live. Yeah, that, that was the online exactly. one. Yeah, that was the online version. I, I'm sorry, sorry, if you guys hear a little bit of noise or if our listeners hear a bit of noise, this, this sounds extremely creepy, but um, I, I drove down the street because um, I like to podcast in the car where it's nice and quiet, too much noise in the house. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, right now I'm looking at the backside of an Apple IIe and... Beside it is an Apple II GS in somebody's garage sale. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> I'm like drooling. I look like a creepy guy, like spying on like, <laughs> like, like that Hitchcock movie, The Rear Window. I've got like binoculars and I'm eyeballing somebody's fucking retro computers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do what you got to do if you I, have a purchase to make. I, I hate to be distracted, but I'm going to like, as we, as we keep talking, I'm going to be looking at these... Uh, Machines, you're gonna get like a live, uh, <laughs> a live version of the podcast with me goggling at an app, old Apple machines because this is just such a weird coincidence. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after after Uru, that kind of was the end of that was the end of Cyan, or Cyan still exist, or is it just a holdings company? They do exist, but uh, well, they're working on a Kickstarter. Yeah, they're working right on. Now. I forget they're what it's called. Abduction, Abduction, yeah, which I'm waiting for. It's going to be great. Uh, I didn't back it because I know how little time I, you know, how how little time it takes for me to get stuck in one of their games. I'm, but yeah, I might get it. I'm just excited for them to go back and and start something from scratch without having to to have everything from the Mist universe telling them how Very to true. how to run something, and hopefully they can essentially reinvent the puzzle genre. Of, of of a puzzle adventure game, again, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, with Uru, they kind of went really strangely off the rails on what they were building, and it it didn't really make <laughs> sense. Um, 
Yeah, with Uru, it was a little strange that they seemed to involve, like, your player's body as an element in a lot of the yeah. puzzles. Or at least in a few that I tried. I remember one had, like, geysers, and you had to, like, plug a geyser with your feet or something to make another geyser go Oh, higher, yeah, I remember. yeah. Or no, it would push you in the sky or something. That was It was, it, it was a very unmisty kind of a, a yeah, thing. It, it, yeah, it... The, the backgrounds look beautiful and the textures were beautiful, but the players and the avatars and how you could customize them just was so strange. And mm. it, Although I did mention in one of our previous episodes that by some uncanny, fortuitous luck, one of the player characters looked very much like me. Personally, <laughs> oh, yeah, in real that's life. right. That's right. That made it so immersive. I love that. It's like this pudgy, a pudgy bearded guy had a beard at the time <laughs> wearing this like baby blue mist shirt. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. So mist, mist was a strange, uh, a strange uh, uh, diversion in their uh, in their modus operandi. It seemed. I guess they were trying to reinvent themselves, but they kind of got stuck inside their own fame. Mm. They were expected to make more mist games, perhaps. Yeah, and, and so they've they're still re-releasing versions of mist all the time. I didn't know about the this super masterpiece crisis version. So. <laughs> I, I bet uh, I wouldn't be surprised if like real Mist masterpiece was like their first test of the engine that they'll use in abduction. That's my guess. Oh, that makes sense. Possibly, why not? But it's it really is worth the money. I think it's fifteen or twenty bucks. It's just so worth it. Wow, do get it? No, I'll pick it up. Cool. So, um, yeah. Uh, how about uh, Seventh Guest? <laughs> oh, how about <laughs> we've spoken a little bit about Seventh Guest. In the yeah. past, but not quite so much about the puzzles, more about like the CD-ROM technology and the setting and presentation and stuff. I found a lot of those puzzles really annoying. They're like very literal, on-the-nose, like newspaper kind of that, puzzles. That's really what they went for, yeah. Um, the most annoying puzzle in there is probably the, the kitchen cupboard one. Oh, with the Yeah, be, with the, the sentence that doesn't involve any vowels except for Y. I know that was it, it was really tough when it first came out and I had the game, but uh, I never would have gotten today. It I would have gotten it, uh, oh, I but have. but back then I I did get it. I don't remember how because we didn't really have uh, like the internet to go look things up, um, right. and I I did get past it. And I, I think it was just a matter of playing with it enough times to guess all these words that had Y's in them. Yeah, well, and the order they were supposed to be yeah. in as well, because you... I, I, was it that it told you how many letters were in each yeah. word due to the position of yep. the cans, and you just rearranged them? I see. And I remember when I first got there, I was completely shocked that you had this, like, how could we solve this? How can we make words at all? And I still remember yeah. the sentence <laughs> to this day. I'm not going to say it, <laughs> because it will ruin it for anyone that's going to go play it, but... Sure, I remember three or four I remember the whole sentence because I use it for uh, Hangman all the time because people freaks people out like, wow. oh, so many letters, it's going to be so easy. Then, right. Then the vowels and they get confused. <laughs> That's right. And by the time they figure it's why, you've already got a full body. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm sure it won't surprise you, Bram, to know that uh, the, one of the puzzles that I had the most trouble with was the maze in the basement. Oh. Because you have to na- you have to navigate this maze in the first person, and like the solution is somewhere in the house. You just look at it, and oh, there's the map to the no, maze. No, no, it, it doesn't but... actually map. That 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 carpet does not map to the maze. I thought it no, did. I don't think it does. Um, the solution to the maze is to map it. <laughs> Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure that the carpet has. The it answer. might. I just ended up mapping it because I wanted to check every little corner of it. Well, I got too freaked out trying to map it because every time you uh, go into a, you take a wrong turn and reach a dead end. Oh, that too, and also feeling lonely. 
Oh, it's so that, spooky. That, that game had atmosphere <laughs> down so well. So, so well between the music and the the spooky visuals and like the effects and the art. It was very, very immersive. A great place to the explore. Tran- very Lovecraft. The transitions where the ghost would do something or the, the picture that you click on and would have hands sticking out for no reason. Um, yeah, a lot of it was for no reason. And it's so ch- kind of chintzy and cheap in retrospect, but being one of the early CD-ROM games, it's like a... I don't know if any of you have played, like, Putt-Putt Goes to the Moon, one of the Putt-Putt games. Oh, definitely. You just, like, <laughs> you just poke something at random and something happens, like some animation. <laughs> this was kind of analogous to that, but with, like, a, a B-horror movie sort of a motif. Mm-hmm. But very well done. Um, I think the one of the bigger biggest flaws in the game was it was hard to know when when you opened a new area how to get to some of them. I'm, I remember right, getting frustrated or... trying to get down to the crypt. Oh, was that going through the maze? That was, you, you went to the crypt and you went to the maze, but to find out to get to the maze, you had to click on the floor in the main area, I think, or something okay. like that, where it wasn't obvious how to get there. Um, mm-hmm. And there were no, like, hot spots or, like, things. Well, to well no, it was just, just it was the creepy hand, right? The creepy skeleton hand. And yeah, that's right. It the would, icon I, on your it would either go left and right saying you can't do anything, or it was like, or the or come hither or turn left or right. But, like, there was no clue that, oh, now you could go through, like, the floor here. Um, and it right. did have the... But the game had a creepy story. The puzzles themselves were, um, yeah, for the most part, not too tough. Uh, I know people complained about the mousetrap mm-hmm. one, I think. Was the mousetrap one? No, 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 it was the binocular one. The mousetrap one is 11th hour. Oh, the telescope mm-hmm. in the beginning? The telescope in the laboratory, because you're playing against an AI, but it's really not hard to beat. It just takes a few drives. Oh, the microscope is what yeah. you're thinking. That, like, so, yeah, yeah, not the, the telescope. The telescope was just a word one, I think. That was yeah. easy. That was the first it was the microscope the game, one. Yeah. Oh, the microscope was really hard, it, It's I really not that bad. You just have to figure out how the opponent plays. And the fact- yeah, you just have to do it in fewer turns than the opponent, yeah. right? Well, no, you're fighting for space, I think. Uh, yeah, it was sort of like an Othello kind of a... Yeah, because I, I when they yeah. re-released them on Steam recently, I, I bought the, the set again and played through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, that puzzle, I remember getting to it, and I'm like, oh no, not this again, and it wasn't that bad. Um, mm. The Mousetrap one, which is the equivalent in the 11th hour, is significantly harder, I find. Oh, okay. I Did I... I think I must have used a cheat to get to the end it of was, the 11th hour, because I found that one very The frustrating part of 11th hour, so uh, it kind of took away from the creepiness of the house. Uh, they made it cheesier. They had the, the house rape thing going on. Um, <laughs> it was... The acting was so bad. It really kind of... The acting was bad in the first one, but it felt like it was a B-movie, and it went really well with the horror setting. It was kind of Yeah, campy. it was perfect. Yeah. Um, whereas 11th Hour, it, it was just bad. They tried to take themselves seriously in 11th Yeah, hour. and I remember I bought it the day it came out. I had the box. I was so happy. And the whole game is... Uh, to progress, you have to you have to solve cryptic crosswords. Oh. And you get oh, that yeah. little little like Game Boy thing in it, or whatever it's called, the little little device. And I don't even oh, remember. it pops huh. up, and so it's just got uh, uh, Stroff telling you some like cryptic saying. And I didn't even mm. know what a cryptic crossword was when I got the game. And <laughs> even to this day, I suck at cryptic crosswords. You have to be really dedicated to learn how to solve a cryptic because uh, the way they work is it's a crossword clue where half the clue is uh, is like a standard crossword clue and the other half has some, in, there's some instruction in the middle 
and it tells you what to do. And it's going to be a word like beheaded or which means, you know, solve it and then take away the, the, the first letter or the first few letters. Or sometimes it's combine or, or mm, mixed up, right. which would mean it's an anagram. And you have to figure out which side is the literal clue, which side is the, um, is the, the cryptic clue and to solve them. But if you have never done them, it's just a frustrating experience. And 11th hour was you had to solve the cryptic. And then you had to go one step further and find the thing it was talking about in the house. And so even oh. when I, when I oh. so when I played it through recently, I remember playing it. I was just clicking on everything, and it would give you little clues if you kept guessing wrong. But they don't even tell you that's what you're doing until you're a good ways <laughs> in when you realize that all these things you're clicking on them, and he's just like, oh, bad move or wrong answer, or uh, are you feeling like an idiot or whatever else he taunts you with? The taunts are still great, mm. but <laughs> it, if you don't know cryptics, the game is impossible without, uh, without cheating through it. And I know a little bit about cryptics, and I played it through about six months ago, and even on some of them, I just got frustrated. would look up online for hints, and half of them were, I don't know why this, 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 this doesn't make any sense. It's the like bird in the picture. Click it. Oh, oh, that's and if the people who love this game so much that they made hints and facts to help people through it don't know the answers to them, there's a problem. That's, yeah, it's bad design. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, yeah, the game itself, like Eleventh Hour, has tougher puzzles. Uh, the puzzles themselves are great when you get to them. Um, similar to Seventh Guest, um, nothing too crazy. Like I said, the mouse trap was the hardest one. Um, and otherwise it's got, you know, three endings at the, at the end, which are click on which right. of these three doors, uh, and you get your choice of, uh, endings. And it's just, the video is so cheesy. It really mm-hmm. takes away from it. Not in a good way. It's just bad. Except the actor for Stoff is just so watchable and likable. He's a great Oh, yeah, villain. and so they're trying to do the third one. Yeah, they did they successfully kickstart it? I think they, they no, did. They, they failed twice. Yeah, oh, really? which is a, a shame, because I, I, I was just waiting for them to actually finally settle on how they're doing it. Uh, and they had Stoff there to, to act again and to do more, more of the voice acting, which is... Oh, which man, that would yeah, be great. But they did make a third game uh, called Clandestiny. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which I enjoyed, but was more geared towards children. But the puzzles were more for, not really for children. <laughs> I remember them, I, I haven't played it in years, but I remember it being a fun game, but it was all cartoony. Right. Oh, yeah, it's literally cartoons. I'm just looking at it now. I haven't played this. Yeah, it, it was fun. The puzzles were, for the most part, a little bit easier, I guess, than Seventh Guest, but still not, not for children. Uh, hmm. But all the... Uh, all the acting and cartoons, well, all the cartoon and voice in it was, was very much geared towards children. It was a, uh, you're in Scotland in some castle, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. It was fun. Looks beautiful. Yeah, it, was, it looked good and the puzzles were good. It just, it didn't have the atmosphere that Seventh Guest had, which they haven't been able to recreate. I know, it was just so shocking, I think, because it was such an early CD-ROM game and just contrasting what the seventh guest looked like versus like the 2D adventure sort of stuff that we were seeing so so few months oh. before. I think that gave us a lot of romanticism about how seventh guest looked. And Chris, you got to play this thing already. This is a really classic, not not necessarily a good or well-deserved reputation, 
for this this game, but it's just so campy and charming and, and funny. Opening. And of course, with the opening, I know the opening and is the awesome. Music? It's so uh, oh. iconic. The music is yeah. The brilliant. opening was well, I have so no, dark. I have no excuse not to play it because I've been like, I've I've had this. I think it came out on is it a two disc or a four disc game? Um, I think it's two discs. It was a, I could be wrong. So it was two, two discs, discs but yeah. you don't need the second disc until right at the end. Yeah, right. and I've I've unless had, you want to listen to the uh, music. I've had a jewel case copy since 1999 that I got <laughs> for 25 cents at a uh, a garage sale in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a very specific memory. It's like, whoa, somebody's got seven cents for 25 cents. I'm like, I don't know. It is 25 cents. <laughs> <laughs> um, the version on Steam works really well uh, of Seventh Guest. It, cool. Yeah, because I, 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 they re-released them uh, a year ago or something, and I just got them and, and played through them right away. Um, it also works on Scum VM mm. now. Oh, wow. Very, very well. And that has, like, save states and stuff if you really want to cheat your way through puzzles, trying them step by step. That's incredible. Yeah, it looks great on, on ScumVM. I don't know what the Steam one uses, whether it's DOSBox or maybe ScumVM it might, or something It might else. be ScumVM. I don't remember it being DOSBox. I, I don't want to start it up right now. But, um, yeah. yeah, and they, cool. they they updated it even last year. Um, what's this? Okay. Oh, right. Well, they I think they released them on mobile. So that would have been it, an excuse to update. It, it uses perhaps. ScumVM. It yeah, does, so okay. it works on uh, Windows, uh, Linux, or Mac OS. Mm-hmm. I think it even works on uh, Nintendo DS and other systems that are running ScumVM. It, it, it's a very well-ported uh, emulator. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was a game I think it sold very, very well, despite however good it might have been. It was creepy, and that's what... I think that's what sold it for the most part. It was fun yeah. creepy. Yeah, it was hokey and, and uh, it was better and, for it. It's just a lot of fun. And then through. there's, of course, the great music, which you've already used, even like the Dr. Death song at the end of an episode of our... Oh, yeah. that's right. That was from uh, 11th Hour, that one. I, yeah, I, I own the autographed copy of uh, <laughs> George the Fat Man Sanger's uh, 7-Eleven album. <laughs> So I, I really love the music in that. I've always loved it like crazy. I have all the MIDI files as well. I think there's like 60 MIDI files for each of those games. Lots and lots of music. Awesome. Was the piano puzzle in the first, in Seventh Guest or Eleventh Hour where you actually had to play the tune? Oh no, that must have been. In the it must have been Eleventh Hour where you end up playing, um, like the the, the main theme. Oh, it's just great. great. No, it's not in the first one. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, that was that's that cute. was a lot of fun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what's next? Well, I, I've been going on. I've got tons more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, We're probably not going to get through everything at this yeah. rate, but we can cher- cherry pick Okay, the well, let, let's go back to the, to the roots here and do, do some DOS stuff. Um, uh, lemmings. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, lemmings. great. That was, like, top of my list. I, okay, good. Good. I, I love and hate this game. I absolutely love it, and I went looking for it. Recently, I asked Brian. I was like, hey, Brian, lemmings, is there an update for it anywhere? And DOSBox is really the only way to play it, and it's actually kind of glitched for DOSBox. Oh, you're kidding! No, maybe maybe it's like CPU. No, it, it, it's got a problem with the sound card setup. Uh, you know, it's really oh, funny. Really? It actually had a problem with sound card in the original DOS version anyway. 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually buggy right out of the get. Right, I don't think it's a DOSBox specific issue. I think it might be even be a Lemmings issue. Um, I, I remember when I first got this game for DOS, I had nothing but sound card problems, and I actually eventually gave up on that. Mm. Hmm. My Most of my memories are of playing this game with the PC speakers. That's maybe right, that's why. and that's what I ended up using. <laughs> and the music was still yeah. good. Yep. <laughs> I, I played it um, first for I, Amiga, actually. Oh, I, nice. I, uh, that's the original version. Oh, yeah. I had a friend who had an Amiga, and I remember I played that, and um, uh, I played Dungeon Keeper on the Amiga originally as well. Wow. Uh, sorry, not Dungeon Keeper. Dun- Dungeon, Dungeon Master. Oh, Dungeon okay. Master. Dungeon Master. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that must be a really old version of no, Dungeon Keeper. No, no, no. no. Yeah, Dun- <laughs> Dungeon Master on, on that originally, and it took me a long time to find oh, it. Oh, very cool. Uh, um, I heard that the Lemmings music for the Amiga is incredible, but I've never a- heard it. It was amazing. It was this this wonderful like it was well everything on the Amiga it was the was, at the time was the best for anything audio or visual. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. because it was the Amiga toaster or whatever it was called at the time for actually doing rendering and stuff. That's right. Yeah, they right. had a they had a chipset uh, dedicated to uh, rendering, didn't they? I think so. I can't remember uh, how they they had like two or three different um, subsystems responsible for graphics audio. Um, and uh, and some three D functions, which was like, pretty mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just beautiful. I remember when I finally got it for DOS. It was so so stale and pale compared to like this <laughs> this huge experience on because they had those big color screens on the Amiga and the That's sound right. was great. But mm. um, for me, at the end of the day, I, it's the puzzles that I love. So <laughs> I got mm. I, I my first experience with Lemmings was actually really funny. Um, I my school had one. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. It had one room in the whole school, so the whole school was all Apple IIe's. Um, in our, in fact, our computer lab, and I'm air quoting this in my car, um, was a um, split between half of it was Apple IIe's and the other half was typewriters. And um, so you you like would like start by learning on the typewriter how to type, and then they would upgrade you to an Apple IIe at some point. And, you know, by this point, I already had, like, a 286 PC at home, so this was, like, way behind the times. Um, mm-hmm. But there's one room in the school. It was a band teacher's, like, private, like, little office area, and she had installed Lemmings on her color Macintosh, like, beautiful $6,000 Macintosh system. And the Mac port of Lemmings was very, very good. Um, and I played the living shit out of it at lunch hours. And, oh, my God. Um, it was so much superior to the DOS version. I was really, really disappointed with the DOS version when I got to start playing it. But I really just thought in my head, you know, this is better than nothing. Um, at least, you know, at least I can play this at home and I don't have to wait to go to school the next day. Hmm. What about yeah, I, I don't remember when I first played Lemmings. It might have been it was a shareware version at first, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You you could play the okay. first like twenty levels or something like that. Uh, uh. So surely that was my first experience. But I think my most memorable experience of playing the first Lemmings was a port on the Super Nintendo of all things. Oh, really? Which had it had really nice, more colorful graphics than the PC one. And what was really striking was not only like were the Lemmings themselves larger and more detailed, right. but it actually had a two-player simultaneous competitive. Mode. Oh, where Lemming, Lemmings, had, Lemmings well. had 20 multiplayer levels, well, two player levels. Yes, that's right. The original. Oh, yes, really? it did. Yeah, the Amiga. Not, the Amiga. Not simultaneous. Yeah, simultaneous. The Amiga. Oh, yeah. Hmm. 
the Amiga had support for two simultaneous mice, um, which is just totally awesome. Ah, yeah, that's crazy. Oh, I thought that was unique to the Super Nintendo one. That's pretty neat. That was my first exposure to it. But I mean, um, I played the DOS one only, which apparently was crippled compared to the real original. I oh think man, the DOS one so had so the two did... player though. Not I, that I remember. I don't it's remember. Possible. Oh. I I think you know what's I funny. I don't know the mechanics. This is pretty pretty timely. Um, the latest issue of Retro Gamer just came out a few weeks ago, and they have a whole like six page spread on Lemmings, and they mentioned that the DOS version stripped out the uh, two player mode. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we never okay. get to play it. There's a Wikipedia page that has a list of the comparisons between all the different versions. And there are <laughs> there must be so a million many versions. versions. Uh, it was so popular. It made them so much money. And, of course, uh, that was DMA Design who yes. used those uh, earnings to make uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, that's kind of unbelievable that they went from Lemmings to GTA. Although, it, you know, they both kind of had the same dark sense of humor now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. I suppose so. It just makes you wonder what else the team could have done if they didn't get so popular that they only made like two franchises with a million sequels. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to think... Like, Lemmings had a lot of sequels. Lemmings had like unbelievable... They had like, oh no, more Lemmings. They, they, they only Christmas had a few. Lemmings. Yeah, so the Christmas Lemmings was a small little packet that they had. Uh, yeah. Oh no, more Lemmings was... was like one disc. Yeah. Oh no, more Lemmings was, was the... Was an ex- level pack it was, was an expansion, sequel? which was a game oh. on its own, but it was really just a, a new level pack on top of the original. Oh, yeah, it was okay. more of the same, yeah. wasn't it? Then there was Lemmings 2 Tribes. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember I've I, I played them all. Um, I'm trying to remember which one was, because there was 3D Lemmings as well. Oh, I never played oh, 3D tri- Lemmings. Wasn't, tr- wasn't Tribes where... Like each tribe was a different theme or something, and the lemmings had different abilities, and there were different environments. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which one happened on a cylinder. There oh, was, there was, I don't there remember was, that one. So you were playing on the outside of a cylinder, and oh, so it, it just meant that I think it was 3D lemmings, where it wasn't really 3D. <laughs> it was 2D, but put on different surfaces. Oh. One of them being a cylinder, so you could sort of like start at the top and keep going one way and come right back to where under being under where the opening door was. Wow, um, okay. that's crazy. Yeah, it it was fun, uh, but none of them were as good as. Oh no, that was that was Lemmings Revolution that came after 3D Lemmings. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Lemmings 3D really was 3D. Yeah, Lemmings it? Revolution is the one that was always on a, a on a cylinder. Um, oh. Yeah, because Lemmings 3D was like 3D 3D rendered polygons, etc. Wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, and it was really that was terrible horrible. For it. That was so bad. I don't, I don't know if I've played it or if I'm just remembering its what, reputation. Why does everything that had a game that became 3D be just a bad version? <laughs> Prince of Persia 3D. I was, that's so I funny. I was literally that. about to say Prince of Persia 3D was the worst thing I had ever played I, in that era. I, I bought the game and I finished it because wow. I, I was clearly a glutton for punishment. Um, I enjoyed <laughs> some of like the, the shooting the arrow stuff in there. But right, <laughs> sure. Um, and then there was Ultima 9, which was basically the same thing, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, 3D Lemmings was just horrible. It's it just, just so bad. Um, mm-hmm. There was, yeah, Lemmings 2 Tribes was fun, but it it was sort of trying to be... Uh, Lemmings itself was such a complete game. It was, like, all the... Like, trying to add new things for them to do works, but you sort of get used to the original ones 
and yeah. they were they were really well designed originally. So when you you add these new series of them, um, I remember getting frustrated that you were missing some of them that you could have had before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the I think the real genius of Lemmings One was that it was one of those masterful games where basically the whole game is its own tutorial, and it kind mm. of steps you through it little by little to teach you the relevance of each of the different abilities. That's a good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, that's that's uh, something that I think is a real, uh, a, a very important aspect of a successful uh, puzzle or strategy game. Something that teaches you how to play it, but doesn't just give you a wall of text. It actually yeah. like, forces you to learn it by Portal by would doing. be the best example of that. Portal 1. Portal 2, no. Uh, oh yeah, Portal 1. And also, yeah, Portal 1, actually, it solves some very difficult problems the way that they came across that. But I would say also Plants vs. Zombies does a great job yeah. of that, oh, too. Wow. It just gives you this trickle of new abilities and different ways mm-hmm. to use them. Um, apparently, Lemmings 2 Tribes can be played for free on, in a browser uh, from oh, archive.org. Yeah, I found it via the Wikipedia page. Uh, oh, yes, yes. yes they have, archive.org. They have like a built-in DOS emulator into the uh, Java browser or something like that. Yeah, they run DOSBox in That's the Java amazing. applet. Yeah. Wow. They they have like a thousand DOS games on there. It's a great repository. It just started a month or so. Two I, ago. I went yeah, looking. Pretty... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Oh no, it's just it's just pretty cool. Um, somebody, I I can't remember exactly how it works. Um, I, is it DOSBox or is it is it something else running in in uh, as a virtual um environment? I can't remember exactly how the archive one works, but I remember um. Oh, it's DOSBox. It's DOSBox? Okay, yeah, because I was yeah. I had another thing about a year and a half, two years ago, where I was booting an eighty eighty six in um in JavaScript, which was the craziest thing. Um hmm. it was it was the most bizarre app I've ever seen. And it and you could you could just basically um it would it would oh, how did it work? It used some sort of some arcane JavaScript calls to boot this like DOS image of an 8086 machine that they had, like, archived off of this website. And you could, like, flawlessly, like, create a RAM drive and all of that kind of stuff in this tiny little Java environment. And I was like, that is the craziest thing. So I, I haven't, unfortunately, I haven't been able to try the archive.org uh, implementation. So they work pretty well. Yeah, they work very seamlessly. Wow. I'm really impressed. It took them, they're kind of incrementally learning new things. I know at first they didn't have any sound, and now they do. Wow. And I think at first they didn't have uh, joystick emulation, okay. and now that works. So it's a real service to the community, because not crazy. everybody knows how to navigate the uh, DOS command line interface. Oh, yeah, no kidding. And um, that's that's incredible. I remember, I think it's on Joe's uh, podcast, or favorite podcast, um, um, in one of his latest uh, listener uh, voicemails, they mentioned that archive.org technically doesn't have the rights to do this, so they're pushing ahead anyway. Even though I believe this is violating DMCA, and I thought that was totally thought, it is. I thought that was great. I thought that was what a wonderful thing to do. Um, take the, assume the risk, push forward, and let you know let let people complain before you have to take it down. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. Yeah, good for them. They're they're taking a big risk, but it's uh, hopefully going to set some kind of a precedent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is like really Wait. terrible timing um, because we have so many games to talk about. <laughs> I've never had to do this to the podcast before. I have to go. I have to go see Mad Max in twenty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I've never had to like. I've never had to quit early. Um, do you guys want to keep going and like just just patch me out? 
Um, I've well, got a list of more here. Um, and you guys have. Or do you guys want to continue in a future episode? <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah, we. Would you like to join yeah, us again, I, Bram, and we can give your list the attention I can it deserves? definitely come back. <laughs> um, that, would, because... that would be awesome. I, I feel terrible, but <laughs> I, 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 my trick was I was like, I, I'm supposed to pick up my buddy and go see see this movie, and uh, I so I while we were talking, I was driving to his house. I'm like, if I if I park outside of his house, I can squeeze another three minutes out of the podcast. <laughs> oh, and have you done that now? <laughs> yep. So, okay. <laughs> parked so... here for ten minutes. Oh boy. Right. Okay. So then, uh, I guess we can't talk about like Pandora's box or Atomic. Oh, so I've got a whole list here, and we have to. Oh, yeah, let's. We have to get to those. I want to. Let's uh, give them the time that they deserve. Yeah. We'd love to have you back, Bram. That would be great. And like, I want to do like the Incredible Machine, or even something like Minesweeper, which nobody really really thinks about anymore. Oh, hmm? how did I forget about that one? For sure. All right. Well, why don't we why don't we uh, call it quits for today anyway? And I was wondering, uh, Chris, perhaps maybe you and I could do another 0.5 episode this week and tackle those uh, voicemails. Yeah, that, we never got that, would, that would be great. Cause I'm really excited to hear Avi uh, trolls. And um, is it, uh, who's the uh, Ryan. Ryan? Yeah, Ryan. Uh, I think Ryan wrote in and said he had a really bad cold and was looking forward to doing a real voicemail someday. So, um, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. We owe our listeners a few podcasts anyway. Oh, so fantastic. Awesome. Okay. Well, sorry to ab- so abruptly call this one quits, folks. But uh, Bram, thank you so so much oh, for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. It's you, uh... been great. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't it's wait been to a lot of fun, back. and you added a lot of value. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, you can reach us uh, as always on the web squarefm.demodulated.com by email squarefm at demodulated.com. If you have any stories about puzzle games, we would love to hear them by text or by voicemail. Please. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. Fantastic. All right. And so once again, sorry, yours. sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> I cut this short so I selfishly want to go see Mad Max at the, the 3.30 matinee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Tell, uh, tell Charlize there and we say hello. I, I will. I'll, I'll personally thank her tonight. And let us know how good the movie is. <laughs> I will, well, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll come up with an update cool. next week. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you so much for joining us and have a good week. We'll talk to you all soon. All right. Love you lots, folks. Can't wait to hear you in a few days. Bye. 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 Bye.